Men, catching that outlaw band won't be easy. We've got miles of unpopulated desert to ride through, and all of us need it to be tied into these horses. Any suggestions? Perhaps we should look for some people in that town who know how to get across. If anyone knows, they would. Looks pretty quiet around here. Those bodies hanging at the gallows don't make me happy to be here either. Maybe we should wait a minute to see what they're ready to shoot each other over. Or we can rush in and give them some target practice. Nah. Any man says I'd rustle cattle is a liar. No need for that, Charlie. And no need for your gun either, mister. Mr. Harden, it's my duty to inform you that the larceny of an equine is a capital offense, punishable by death. But you can rest assured that in this court, a horse thief always gets a fair trial before he's home. Now, what do you mean by that? It's bad enough to have to kill a man without having to listen to a whole lot of stupid talk from him first. And remember, Joe, I've seen you draw. Every time you turn around, expect to see me. Because one time you'll turn around and I'll be there. I'll kill you, Matt. Punch and Trout are lying in the street at Lasso. Lasso's a ghost town. And that's what you are, Doc, a ghost. You've outlived your kind and you've outlived your time and I'm coming to get you. All right, I'm coming out. Any man I see out there, I'm going to kill him. Any some bitch takes a shot at me, not only gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill his wife, all his friends, burn his damn house down. All in favor of just giving up and going home? Oi! Aye! My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Three, two, history so sit down and hold on tight your next adventure is about to begin here are the hosts of rpg backtrack phil willis and mike minky and welcome to rpg backtrack number 78 once upon a time in the west we are going to be talking about a whole bunch of wild arms games and we got a whole bunch of people here. We've rounded them up to talk about Wild Arms tonight. First off is my good partner, my partner, Mr. Mike Minky. I'm happy to be here, folks. Glad to let y'all know a little bit something about the West as seen through Japan, and that should make it a very, very interesting place. Didn't you say, everybody? Mm, hot diggity. I would certainly agree with that. Now, some people think we're a bit backwards out here in the West, but that's simply not the case. We're all down with this app stuff. In fact, we got Mr. Mike Apps with us tonight. Woo-wee! Out there in the West. <laughs> well, you're part of the West now, son. You better get on board. 
It's like you're trying to tell us Connecticut never had nothing to do no how with no Western project, and that just won't do no siree, Bob. No, that won't do one bit. And back for back for another ride on the RPG backtrack, we got Mr. Nathan Schlothen. Howdy. Wow, howdy to you too, partner. Welcome on the RPG backtrack. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Also, for the record, am I the only person here? Is actually, I think I'm the farthest west living person here. So. No, I'm yeah. on. I'm on the Pacific he's so coast. So far west, he's east. Okay, so <laughs> a little bit further than west. <laughs> Almost. Though, though nobody thinks of the West when it comes to Humboldt County, they think of marijuana instead. I'm <laughs> in the Oregon Territory. I beat you all. And that last voice you hear is uh, is a new fella up here, Mr. David something or rather. <laughs> Mr. David Burma Tornations. <laughs> sure, why not? That's what we go with. This is how things work. Hmm. So when, got, Phil, when Phil finds a doggie, he just has to rope her and brand her, and he doesn't give a hoot about how much he bails and hollers, don't you know? Add me with a brand, I'm going to destroy you. Once I get a, <laughs> once I get a new name on this here podcast, I gotta, I gotta wrestle that thing to the ground. I gotta hog tie her. <laughs> now that we've done set American civilization back a hundred years, making fun of Western accents and stuff. So a hundred years. Yeah. I will suggest that you go watch Blazing Saddles to set it back another fifty years. All right. So we're talking about uh, a bunch of Wild Arms games and uh, one Wild Arm, two Wild, one one Wild Arm spinoff, and uh, and we'll see if we have any other time to talk about anything after that. I sincerely doubt it, but we'll see. So uh, hold on tight. Uh, go grab yourself. Uh, go grab yourself something from the. From the, uh, what do they call them? Not tavern. Bar. Go grab yourself something from the bar. I have. Saloon. Saloon. Thank you. I knew I was looking for something there. <laughs> uh, I've already helped myself, so I got myself some vodka mixed with OJ tonight. Mm-mm, good. At least I'm getting my requirement of vitamin D in there. Hold on tight. Listen to some nice western tunes from one of our Wild Arms games. We'll be right back.
Alright, and we're going to start this, we're going to start this, uh, we're going to start, uh, gosh, I'm running out of Western terminology, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're going to start this journey off. We're going to ride the trail? We're going to ride the trail. We're going to start this trail off right by hopping on a train called Wild Arms. Well, no, there's no one after, it's just called Wild Arms. This is developed by Media Vision Contrail. Wow, what the hell? Published by Sony uh, Computer Entertainment. This was uh, released on the PlayStation in North America back on April 30th, 1997. Re-released on the PlayStation Network about a decade later, December 6, 2007. This is a single-player Western RPG experience, rated E for everyone, coming to you. On one glorious CD-ROM or one quick download over the PSN. Your choice. Woo! And, uh, yeah, this is one of the few games that I've played. Actually, I have played this one all the way through. Back in the day. Way back in the day. And I understand Mr. Apps has as well, haven't you, Mr. Apps? Oh, I had, and it was a good time. Now, now when, did, when, did, when did you play it? Last. Um, when did you last play it, I should say? When did I last play it? I've been playing it not too long ago on my PSP. Okay, so you'll remember a lot more details than I will. Yeah, that was one of the first things I uh, actually downloaded it as soon as it came out on the PSN, I think, because hmm. that was that was one of the first PS1 classics they released. Oh, it's it's definitely a classic. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and but yeah, is, I, the, is the translation also, a classic? Is is the what a classic? The translation. The translation. Is the translation? <laughs> oh, heck, fine. And Dave, did you play this one too? Yeah, I did actually. I remember feeling cheated because it had two discs, a two disc box, but only had one disc oh. inside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny, too funny. All right, so let's uh, let's start off as we always do, talking a, a bit about the story. How much do you remember about the uh, story there, Mister Apps? Uh, surprisingly, not that much. Something to do with demons and the world falling apart. <laughs> and... How about uh, how about this uh, taking place in the fancy world of Philgaea? What kind of a name is that? Phil- I don't like that name. Wild Arms follows. It sounds like you your name. Yeah, mixed with-, with Earth Goddess. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! I think y'all were telling me earlier not to cheat on my wife. Who knows who I'm hanging out with after the. Anyways, Wild Arms follows the adventures of a band of miscreants and adventurers called Dream Chasers who scour the world in search of excitement and fortune. You, the player, assume control of a young boy named Rudy, who has the ability to operate powerful weapons called Ancient Relic Machines, or ARMS for short. How how quaint is that? I, I would like to point out the na- that the acronym ARMS shows up in basically all of them and never means the same thing. Yeah, I'm just kind of looking at the wiki page right now to remind myself, and they're all pretty crazy. And <laughs> they're all crazy. Ancient Advanced Relic Machines is the one that makes the most sense. It just gets crazier from there. They're on. Oh, we'll have to talk about it as we get to each game. Uh, forbidden remnants of a lost age that resembles guns. Along with his companions, Jack and Cecilia, the group must make use of their respective skills to navigate through a vast wasteland and dungeons of Filgea and prevent an out- otherworldly threat from reviving their lost leader and destroy Destroying the world! Dun dun dun! Yeah, the plot of the first one's pretty straightforward. I've only played its remake, but I don't think they changed the central plot too much. It's just basically a bunch of powerful demons show up. They're all made out of metal. You have to fight them. There's a couple of complications. There's a couple of complications. Time is had by all. Correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't this one have like a, a Dragon Quest V type of approach where you play each character individually before they all come together? 
That's Dragon Quest yeah. yeah. 4. And four. Yes, four or five, yeah. yeah. You know, when you start drinking the way I do, it just kind of all blends in together. But yeah, yeah the, the first, first three, three games also that. that way. And then they drop it for four for some reason. Hmm. Interesting. Well, wasn't four way different than the rest of the series? To, four has know, like platforming to, elements. We'll get to that. To jump ahead three games. Yeah, well, there's, well, four is different in a lot of ways. Some which recur, some don't. Since we don't have a whole lot to talk about this in, in, with, in regards to this deep and moving plot, uh, <laughs> what about what about the uh, the characters? Were they particularly memorable? I, I they weren't memorable enough for me to remember ten years later. So maybe one of you who played the game recently can can speak more thoroughly on that. Well, one of them oh. is a mute. <laughs> Well, yeah, okay. Oh, oh, we're the characters and one of them never talks. It was not a, yes. not a well-nuanced design choice. Wow. <laughs> unsettled territory here. Wow. Mute characters? Wow. <laughs> Wait, are you talking about the main, the main <laughs> character is like the typical... Rudy Rough Knight yeah, is the main character is typical. Yeah. But, I think he's the only one in the series, though, which is kind of interesting. All the later main yeah, And, yeah, and like also, talks, spoilers, talks. spoilers, he's a robot. Get out. Well, Arm turns out to be a robot. It's technically a home cross, which I think is like a messed up word for homunculus. It's supposed to mean homunculus, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically it's a robot made out of the same technology used for all the arms. Now, now let's so, notice that they they remade this game, and yet all those mistranslations are still in there. So let, let's <laughs> let's clarify. Are they, are they supposed to be on the level of this guy are sick or something? No, they're just badly thought out. <laughs> so let's let's clarify because there's many RPGs where the main character doesn't really talk, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's he he can't speak or that he's mute. It's just is he really yeah. mute here or is he just not? He's he's mute he just and it's doesn't a, talk. Yeah, and it's a little weirder here because you're not because you can start as one of the other characters. So it's kind of weirder that he's mute that, as compared that, to the other characters. There are only ever three people that you're ever actually with for extended periods. It means that like the entire thing, like the entirety of the plot has to be carried on the back of the villains and the two other characters in the party. And and the rat companion. And the rat. Oh yeah, handpan. Yes. Handpan. <laughs> it's like handpan. the spirit rat that uh, Jack has that follows him around. Yeah, and, and. doesn't really do that much. That's a Jack and Cecilia are Yeah, he's basically a tool. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess we might as well start talking now since you mentioned it. Puzzles. Yes. This will be a recurring theme for the wild, rest of the Wild Arms games. Uh, basically, I think following in really the spirit of the only previous one to do this, I think it's Lufia too. But just there's tons of puzzles in all of the dungeons. You have lots of special tools you can use throughout them. Each character has a few different things they can do. I forget if they don't know if they changed this between the original and Ultra Code F what the tools are, but I don't think they would have. I think that, that like I think that Cecilia's initial tool might have just been made a key item in Ultra Code F, but other than that I'm pretty sure they're the same. Yeah. Uh for example oh, I'm actually blanking on what the examples would be. Rudy gets bombs and like a radar. Yeah, I know Jack gets his guitar, which can summon up monsters. Not about that. Uh, yeah, I guess this is the one thing I've totally forgotten what the tools from the original game were. <laughs> like, uh, it starts with, like, this tier that just acts as, like, a... It essentially just presses random things that it's designed for, and she also gets, like, a clock that... It does a few things, like, it'll fix a puzzle that you've broken, but other than that, it's not that interesting. Yeah, also, the Hanpan himself is a major tool, who can basically go out away from the characters and 
move through small paths and hit switches, which is really handy. Yeah, usually you send him across a gap that you can't because apparently gravity doesn't apply to him. Hey, he's a wind rat. Yes. Yeah, but he still can't go more than five feet away from you. <laughs> he's a very clingy wind rat. Has he imprinted on you? Do wind Does rats imprint? Oil the jack or something. I don't think rats imprint. <laughs> well, this is a wind rat. There might be special rules. <laughs> See, I have nothing else to contribute, so I do this. Animals, you can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot of puzzles in the game. I guess in, yeah. uh, pretty much every dungeon's gonna have several. Yeah. And there's a lot of dungeons because there's just that's another recurring thing. There are a lot of dungeons in the Fallout Arms. And they're games. really good for the most part. Yeah, they are. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, no, and and I definitely remember the uh, puzzles, and I and I and I I don't remember them being too difficult because usually I get pretty frustrated when puzzles require a trip to Cornell University to figure out. I don't like yeah, difficult puzzles in my back RPGs. To theme and we're gonna get back to the idea of difficult puzzles in Wild Arms too. Oh, okay. But not for good reasons. Not for good reasons. <laughs> you had some really weird puzzles. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I never. You know, I never actually think two is the only one I haven't touched. I I got one, and. Uh, and then I went, I skipped two, and I got, and I played, I played three pretty well, so I'll talk some more on that, and I got four and five, but I haven't actually played too much into them, but yeah, two I just kind of skipped over for some reason. Did it review poorly? Uh, yes. Two is uh, not very good. I love it with all my heart and soul, but two is probably the worst game in the series. Okay. And, I, and I'm getting ahead, I'm getting ahead, so we won't, we won't kill it too bad. So, Okay. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a really cool puzzle element to it, and that's what kind of sets the interaction apart. I mean, for the most part, uh, and you guys can jump in and correct me on anything that I'm throwing out here that's incorrect, because again, I'm going off of 10-year-old memories here, but the other, uh, aside from those elements in the dungeons, most of the other interactions pretty status quo, going into town, talking to people, buying and selling, yeah. and all that, nothing's... Yeah, it's not that any of that is awful or the story is boring or the characters are awful. It just it's just not what really carries the game at the end of the day. Like it, it's yeah. very what you would expect coming from an RPG just before FF7. Yeah, yeah and it, it, very much the game, it, which is kind of like very much like yeah, you know, kind of classic JRPG. Really, is defining what you know, can call the most stereotypical of all JRPG mechanics. It uh, even has the, the even does the flashy summon thing before Falsy Seven does with the big 3D animated summons and such. And, oh man, they're so ugly even for the time. <laughs> yes, let's yeah, let's take so off those get better. Since since we since you've segued into this, uh, before we uh, usually I jump into Battle System X, but uh, yeah, the graphics. Uh, anybody who's listened to me long enough knows my feelings on PlayStation PlayStation One 3D graphics. I've always felt that PlayStation One uh, jumped too early into 3D, and that uh, oh, yeah. and that uh, the 3D graphics, generally speaking, uh, in most games, it's it's much much worse than, than they should have just stuck with 2D graphics. And and that's what's kind of funny here because the uh, the overlanded stuff like that again. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but memory serves correctly, the Overland and stuff looked like almost like a Super Nintendo. It was just a normal 2D... Oh, it looked better than I Super would Nintendo. Not, I would it's not be surprised if the game was initially concepted for Super Nintendo. Yeah, Super Nintendo. Yeah, so it was like you a... Know, basically, I'm, the graphics are just... They, in the field, you've got sprites running around. Yeah, you got like Super Nintendo yeah. level sprites. Yeah, it's nice and pretty. But then you get into battle, and it goes into 3D mode, where you have characters... It's a horrible bobblehead. Yeah. <laughs> normal field, I believe. And, I remember my eyes bleeding even back in those yeah. days. I was like, yeah, make so it even stop. Back then I thought, 
Guys, bad. guys, it had light sourcing. This is dead. Well, at least your at least your three polygon character looked like he was in three dimensions. <laughs> yeah, I remember the bobbleheads, and that was really funny because my mother would watch me play games, and she would, you know, Final Fantasy VI. She would say, "Why are their heads always so big?" Final Fantasy VII, at least in combat, they started looking a little bit normal, but then they pop in wild arms. Oh my God, the heads are big again! It was hilarious. Yeah, little big heads, little bodies, cute little weapons coming out of their hands. It, it was. Pretty neat. They were ready for a game of NBA Jam. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God, that is it, so funny. It was just so jarring because the sprite work was it was it was really good. Yeah. I mean, especially some of the, when some of the demons and stuff showed up, they looked really nice. And then you know you go into battle and it's ugly as sin. So they just they just were really uh, dying to show off the the 3D capabilities of the PlayStation role playing games. I mean, it's the same thing with, with Final Fantasy, but Final Fantasy VII had more detail. Um, and uh, yeah, it just put Final Fantasy VII has more budget. Yeah, it more did, budget. Sure, did, this game did not need 3D battles. No, it didn't. And this was just a case of like people were so intensely hungry for 3D games they didn't really check with their brains if what they were looking at was better. <laughs> I, I I just I and I guess I was just more of an old fogey. I mean I have the benefit of actually playing this game around the time it, it came out. Um yeah, I did too. and uh and so I even with my rose colored glasses of nineteen ninety seven, it was still ugly by ninety seven standards in my opinion. Because I remember well, playing, playing and I was like Yeah. Yeah, it, it was ugly then. Yeah, yeah like, Autumn still... Two, I thought was. I didn't play the original, but well, Autumn Two, I had the same feeling. It's like, wow, this game doesn't really look that great in battle. And such. Mm, yeah, and oh, it's Two actually exacerbates the problem. <laughs> oh, you know what exasperated the problem was? I think I actually played this after Final Fantasy Seven. <laughs> oh yeah, that 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 was not going to be a kind comparison, no matter how you looked at yeah, it. Yeah, so I think that kind of uh, that kind of spoiled it for me. I think Final Fantasy, yeah, Seven, yeah. So okay, let's let's move on to something that's probably a little more pleasant to talk about: the, the battle system. So I remember it was typical JRPG fare, right? Pretty much um, the only unique most, thing is the force gauge. Which that's a big recurring thing across all of the Wild Arms games. And it's kind of an interesting deal. I can't remember. In the original, do they have MP or do they actually have the I, system that's introduced? I want to say that it has MP in the first one. And the yeah, it does. it does. It does. It does, but I don't think. I, I don't know if they call it that for all the characters. Obviously, the robot guy just has, like. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have, cast Rudy has his arm right. Yeah. Which are kind of cool in its own right, basically. Some characters, use, like the mage Princess Cecilia, use MP to cast their spells, but Rudy, who, he doesn't use magic at all. Instead, he uses his arms, his powerful gun, which has all kinds of shells, which have... Each shell has its own special abilities, which are interesting properties, and you can, each shell has only has so many uses you can use. You can only restore the number of uses by going back to an inn. So. You can also get an item called a bullet clip, but those are really rare. Yeah. Mm. Let's say, um, one, one neat little thing about the uh, getting the magic in the game is, uh, can you name the spells? You can name them whatever you want, and this. Yeah, that's, oh, that's that's right. Yeah, because you, you, there's like no set order. You learn the spells, then you have to get these magic tabs, and then like go to a, a vendor and, and pick a spell. Your, and it like there's like a grid of just combining elements and what the two elements combine into has like a generic name that describes what it does, but then you rename it and it looks awful. 
<laughs> Some of them have a few odd names, like I believe Rainbow is the name of a more powerful text build in the game. Yeah, some of them are slightly non-indicative. Uh, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't really tell you because I always change the name. Usually to Final Fantasy. They were in Final Fantasy. It's like yeah, oh, exactly. Bolt. Fire one. Fire. Yeah, that's what I used to do. I just changed. Yeah, I just changed it to Fire one, Fire two. <laughs> and that actually stays in the series for a while as well. Yeah, at least through Wildlands Four, I believe, which is kind of handy in that game for a certain reason. Mm. So, let's see, Wild Arms was developed by Japanese software company Media Vision and Sony's internal development studio Contrail, initially released in Japan in late 96. New to the RPG market, Media Vision had previously released the run-and-gun style shooter game Rapid Reload for the PlayStation a year before Wild Arms. Under the direction of producer Takahishi Fukushima and game designer Ikifumi Kaniko, Wild Arms was developed by a traditional RPG video game company that would incorporate an American Old West theme into an animate style story elements and action sequences. Character designer Yoshihiko Ito was responsible for all major character designs. And I think that was one of the things that really, you know, that was the one thing that, that jumped out at me when I saw the box. And probably the reason why, you know, I bought it was because, yay, Western-themed RPG. I can't remember playing one before Wild Arms. Don't and the do awesome you know, intro the Western... animation. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. To, to be fair, the Western theming is not actually that strong in the first one. Yeah. The well, the Western theme is it's kind of there, especially in the music, but it doesn't really take hold until Wild Arms Three, I think. It only shows up like one town. Otherwise, it's actually fairly classic mid fantasy medieval kingdoms. They give a king forest kingdom, hmm. and then you get all the craziness yeah, like which I love about Wild Arms. And that brings me to my pet peeve. So as I was saying, I saw it in the box. It looked really cool. I watched the anime intro, and then I start playing it. It's not no. <laughs> It's what you guys just described. Everyone uses a sword. Yes, a sword in my Wild West game. Why in the hell doesn't he have a double barrel shotgun? So everybody brought a sword to a gunfight? Thank you. Luckily, no one else had brought a gun either, so everyone just had a sword. Yeah. Actually, technically, there's only two people in the entire world of Wild Arms who can use guns Rudy and Jane Maxwell. Which is the only two people Jane, Which they just pulled out of public domain. Uh. <laughs> Ah, yeah, so I felt like it was false advertising. How rude. Still a really cool setting, though. Just go just... play Wild Arms 3. That one's actually really good. I like... Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that one in a minute. I'm going to get ahead. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to that one. Overall, yeah, I mean... As I was saying about the setting, it's like, the world of Phil Guy is weird <laughs> as heck, but as it shows across the different games, it's it's fun in some weird way. Yeah. Crazy metal demons. It's different. Weird. They're, they're basically elves with furry ears. They spelled a W in there. I don't get why they do that. <laughs> and all sure. kinds of other crazy stuff that happens. I just, it's a weird off the beat setting I just really like. I mean, yeah, despite its shortcomings and the gosh awful graphics during that. And um, <laughs> no, it actually it actually was uh, enjoyable enough that I played it all the way through, <gasps> which is a rarity. Anybody knows yes. me knows I have commitment issues. Um, yeah. It, it was pretty. It was pretty fun. It was fun enough to play all the way through, even after playing Final Fantasy VII. So, yeah, really, when you look at it, it shouldn't. It has kind of everything going against it, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, it just this whole series is one where I have bad commu- commitment issues with games at times, and I've never had trouble just playing a lot of this game from beginning to end. It's a strange thing, but always true. It's. I, I would. Go ahead. 
I, I would like to point out, uh, we've mentioned Fogai a few times, that there does seem to be some degree of consistency of setting. Like, they all insist they're on the same Fogaya. Yeah, well, as we get to the other games, we're going to have to point out that it's a weird thing in its own way. But I can wait Yeah, but they've also all got the same Apocalypse monster. That's his bonus boss in all of them. <laughs> Ragu Oragula. Or Rago Ragula, or however they want to localize it that day. <clears throat> Generally, um, if you're going to go back and play this, I would, uh, seeing that, that you can grab this on the PSN and play it on your PSP, I would always recommend that. Uh, we'll talk about Alter, Alter Code F, which is uh, another alternative, but if you want to play the original Wild Arms, um, uh, I would first recommend you, you grab that on the PSP. Uh, P through the PSN and play it on there because PlayStation 1 games look much better when they're shrunk down to two and a half inches diagonal. <laughs> um, it's also a lot easier to get the original than it is to get the remake at this point. Yeah, if you want to get the... Uh, if you're not a fan <laughs> of PlayStation Network and you still got a PlayStation 1, 2, or even 3 hanging around because uh, PlayStation 3 does, for the most part, play PlayStation 1 games, um, you can grab Wild Arms used off of uh, used game websites for about $15 plus or minus for uh, shipping and handling and what condition you get it in. So, uh, yeah, it's still pretty findable, and uh, it's definitely a gem. Uh, people who listen to RPG Backtrack, you you know, you're interested in RPG history, you want to play the good games from the past, this is a good one. It isn't going to blow your socks off, but it's a different, it's unique uh, in its position history, and it brings some, uh, it, it, you know, it brings a couple of new things to the table. So, we're going to take a teeny tiny break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Wild Arms 2. Hold on to your saddles. to talk about Wild Arms 2, developed by Media Vision and Contrail once again, published by Sony Computer Entertainment. This was released in North America on April 30th, 2000, and later on the PlayStation Network on July 23rd, 2009. This is a single-player RPG experience, rated E for everyone, coming to you on two CD-ROMs. So now you're actually getting two CD-ROMs worth of RPG. 
Did this really come bad. out that much later yeah, after yeah, the first Yeah, it's actually a really late PS1 game. Yeah. No wonder I missed it then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's a good fun game. Fun game though. Oh. Came out when I was a senior in high school, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Concerned with other things. Oh my gosh, I feel so old. Oh my god, you had to say that, didn't you? <laughs> uh, I also want to point out that despite coming out so much later, the translation is actually worse. <laughs> there's How like these two the translations just so bad in this. There's like these two guys named Liz and Ard, and they're supposed to be like a comedy duo, but their tra- like their dialogue is translated so badly that it seems it's, more like abstract art. It's just incoherent. Oh, also talking about translations, this is where I said you know there's some puzzles that are bad, uh, just bad for the wrong reasons, hard for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. The translation is the reason. Yeah. Mm. Okay, Bottoms 2 is a game I really liked way back when, but I never could beat it when it was first released because this one puzzle I could never get past because Ugh. it's just that badly translated. So did you, break out, dungeon too. Did, did you break out the oh, FAQ? Is this the, is this oh, no, the this is before I discovered like, GameFAQ. Uh, oh, God, my eyes. Is this the one I... in Tim's dungeon where he, like, you have to reconstruct the order of the story of, like, this legend, and it's hard to tell what order it's supposed to go in. Yeah, okay, basically the entire gimmick behind that puzzle is that you have to figure out which one is the, which associated with which day of the week. It's basically, each, you have to pick through seven objects and send them in order, and the whole central gimmick is that they're all trying to describe days of the week. Simple to this, until I looked up on GameFAQs years later, I had no idea that was the gimmick. That was the, that, it just made no sense. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is the inherent challenge with puzzles and RPGs. If your audience doesn't get it, if it doesn't click with them, then it can it can completely and utterly stop their game experience. That's why I generally am not a fan of puzzles and RPGs, and it's very rare that I talk about a game with puzzles in it, an RPG with puzzles in it, in anything but a negative, you know, manner, because they drive me crazy when I can't get well, past them. Yeah, that's why Wild Arms 2 relies very heavily on text clues and puzzles. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of later games stop relying so much on big text clues, but what this one has a lot of stuff like that, which is kind of its biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Like stuff like a lot of the hardest puzzles in 3 and 4 are totally unrelated to. I mean, it's more like 3 and Ultra Code F are unrelated to text, so yeah. So. Let's uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, story in Wild Arms Two. Is it call, also called in Japan Wild Arms Second Ignition? Oh, yeah. Same U.S. No it's called that. Ah, so. advanced third, fourth uh, detonator, fourth detonator, Vanguard. fifth Vanguard. They actually okay those in the U.S. release, really. All right. So who wants to talk about the story? Go. Okay. Um, basically, uh, the story starts with just like the original, with kind of split perspectives between three different characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically they're all short little chapters, uh, but basically at the end of this, all the three characters. Well, okay, I guess to go over. Main character Ashley Riot. I mean, not not sorry. Ashley Riot's the vagrant story. Ashley Riot. I, I want to say. It's Ashley. What is it? I can't think. Ashley of. Winchester. Yeah, Ashley Winchester. I always get him, Ashley Winchester, and Ashley Riot confused, considering I actually rented Wild Arms 2 and Vagrant Story on the same day. Oh, yeah. Played, it's like I had played them at the same time, and that's a weird coincidence. I always confuse the names in my head. Yeah, well, they were both uh, 2000 PS1 games. Yeah, let's uh, see here. Ashley Winchester is basically a soldier in a small mercenary group or a guard group. And I, I don't want to say it's a mercenary group. I think they're assigned to protect that town specifically. 
Yeah, uh, Garson this would be a lot easier to tell if the translation wasn't so awful that the nature of this group is never clear. Yeah. Basically, they invade a ruin, they fight a boss gets accidentally released, and he beats the boss. I, well, I really he slows wanna... the boss down before they shoot it with a rail cannon, which is tight. Guns are a lot more common in this one, actually. They aren't seen as an ancient evil. Yeah, and everyone has to play to use them. So that... And so basically, there's a lot more guns around. He's not only two characters to use them again. Yay, guns! Yeah, but at one least guy doesn't both of those use characters are actually in your party this time. Yeah, and well, okay, one guy uses guns, the other guy uses rocket launchers, and that's Brad, the next major character. It was basically a rebel who was home country was completely annihilated in a giant technological accident, and thus he kind of sent to prison and been living there ever since. And mm -hmm. he blows everything up with rockets and grenades and satellite cannons. He's pretty cool. Yeah. Satellite cannons? Yeah, yes. there is actually one of your one of his arms is actually just targeting the enemy so it can be hit with a satellite cannon. Think the hammer of dawn and gears of war. Wow. Wow, that uh, Oh my god. Wow, I didn't know we had those in the Wild Wild West. Yeah, uh, it wasn't used commonly, but it was generally considered to be Wyatt Earp's last defense. <laughs> Phil, this is the really, really wild one. I was about to say, they don't uh, call this wild arms for nothing. But yeah, uh, the third the character is just Cecilia again, but di with no. a different personality. Less princess, <laughs> just more umbrella. Yeah, but she's the, what I mean is she's the, she's the mage. Yes, yeah. I'm actually playing this game right now, and I chose her. Yeah, it's, her name is Loka. Her sister got trapped in magic or something. Yeah, basically, she starts off the... Her first opening prologue chapter is uh, she has to escape a place called the Millennium Puzzle, which is the first appearance of a major recurring theme of the franchise. And what, the least puzzle, puzzle dungeons that look like butt? <laughs> no, well, it's puzzle blocks. dungeons. Lots of like blocks. Ripped, yeah, there's a lot of blocks, but no, it's puzzle dungeons that look like they were ripped out of like an Escher dimension. How, yeah. how do Phil, all of these? Went, how do all these blocks end up in dungeons? Who does this? I don't know. Phil, when, Oculus, when... the god of blocks, does this with all of his spare time. Oh thinking. my gosh! They, gosh, I'm glad you finally explained that to me because you, you guys were not kidding when you said the battles in this game look even worse than the first. Yeah, they one. actually because they try to make the characters look a little more complex. They actually somehow look worse. But uh, essentially, these characters get brought together as part of like a weird anti-terrorism group that's called Arms this time. Yeah, well, first, there's one key thing is that before ARMS is... Well, okay, it's the day ARMS is founded, before it even recruits its major members, I believe. Yeah, basically, like a group of members have been selected. Yeah, a group of terrorists basically summon a bunch of demons and all of the members of this group get possessed. Sounds... And kill each other. Wait, wait, is And that... Ashley is one of them. He's actually turned into a demon in the middle of all For this. For some reason, he's turned into a different color demon, though. Is is yeah. the is the evil is the evil terrorist organization called Cobra, and they're and the good guys are called GI Joe? Sadly, it is called Odessa. Uh, yeah, Odessa. And also, basically, yeah, at the middle of being turned into a demon, and while he's going around killing off his old comrades, Ashley goes up to the ancient sword Argitlam, which is held by an ancient heroine who saved the world once. And by touching it, he's turned back to a human mysteriously. And he is sort of accepted that. because his name sounds like a girl's name. Oh, that <laughs> makes sense. Ooh. But uh, and, I, I just want to jump to the end of this because I really want to say that the villain of this game is retarded. Was it Cobra uh, Commander? No, it's a living dimension. 
Dang it. Yeah, well, we, there's a few things to go through first. I mean, Odessa, they fight, <laughs> spend the first half of the game fighting Odessa, where who they is trying to threaten the world with a nuclear weapon, and you have to fight against them across various things, and there's things like an invisible there flying... There are a couple ships. Wild West towns, there are a couple super technology towns, and it doesn't even try to reconcile it at all. Yeah, and there's a lot of ocean and a lot of desert, because the whole backstory is that at one point a, a demon broke through and burned the entire planet. The same demon who's actually possessing the main hero's body. Oh, snap! And, yeah. So, yeah, somewhere in the middle of this, it turns out that because he was possessed by the demon and was saved by the magic sword, the hero can turn... The hero actually can turn into the... Well, he can basically transform in the style of a Japanese Ranger. superhero and become Night Blazer and beat down enemies horribly. He's got this awesomely bombastic, like, battle music that's amazingly stupid. <laughs> oh, yeah. speaking of music, I want to point out that this game actually has two awesome Western-style opening themes, depending upon which disc you're on. Yeah, the opening... I really love the openings. And it's kind of interesting that not only depending on... It's not just we start the game that's cool opening. It's like every time you turn the game on, there's an opening. And it's fun. Yeah, I well, really yeah, like... but it's it's like it has two songs that switches that are based on which disc you're on. Well, and, well, the entire animation changes. Yeah, but the animation changes, but there's only two songs for it to pick from, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so, I have a question. What would that question be? So supposedly the, all these games are taking place on the same planet, so is there anything in the slightest that even remotely references the original game? Yeah, I think that's the different things. Like, yeah, for example, little things. <laughs> uh, like, you can use some of the system that's... Sh- well, there's all kinds of things. Little hints here and there. None of the kingdoms are, saying, are the same. The geography is not the same. It doesn't really make much sense as a continuation. They don't really <laughs> reference the demons of the original at all, or much anything else. There's, they have the same guardians in both. Uh, same yeah, like, system. it seems like these guardians are just remaking the planet every so often, and you're just watching halfway through it's being destroyed. <laughs> yeah, or who knows what. It's, well, yeah, because didn't the first one like kind of have a unfinished ending where basically they're like, oh, the world's still kind of falling apart? Well, that's that's it the wasn't really resolved. Wave Dokai is always presented as that. Well, you saved it from this evil, but it's still kind of dying. Yes, yeah, well, Gaius basically it starts bad, and every game it gets just worse. That's kind of depressing. Mm. Yeah, it's it's just a giant cycle of. Well, I think some games even presume there's mass human extinctions between various games. I'm not certain. It's a little vague. Yeah. But I think yeah. that's what kind of turned me away from playing this one was uh, <laughs> from the works. ending of Wild Arms one. I kind of expected two to continue it, and when I found out that it didn't. It, and the reviews were also mediocre. It's like, well, forget it. Like, Wild Arms 2 has its merits, but it is probably the weakest game in the series. Eh, still it's one I started with, so I kind of have fond memories of it. I and mean, there's a lot of interesting oh, complexities. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm just, like, looking at it on its own merits, like, if I were asked to rank them, even though like, I would probably play it more readily than just about any of them, I would say that its design is some of the worst. Well, I wouldn't quite say that, but it's have problems. I mean, it certainly has some interesting things. Like, unlike the original, you have only a set party of three characters. In this yes. one, you have a full party of six, so you have a little more complexity there. Um, what else? And they also I added in the new combat. For some reason. Uh, what? I didn't hear that. One of them has a bionic arm for some reason. Yeah, well, she's a cyborg, basically. So. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, also, the other guy can. You got a summoner. Uh, with a weird floaty 
bear thing? I'm not sure what it is. It's accompanying him. And I'm just trying to reconcile an umbrella as a weapon in a world that has nukes. Well, okay, the nuke is an interesting part because, well, the big threat of Jessica Trancy is like, oh, if you, if you don't stop us, we'll launch our nuke. And then they do launch their nuke. And it doesn't do anything immediately. And then much later <laughs> in the game, it descends as the nuclear dragon Crosswain, a giant boss which is itself both a dragon and a nuclear bomb. And you have to fight it. I forgot how stupid this was. <laughs> what? <laughs> the nuclear bomb is a dragon? Yes. How else would you defeat a nuke? It has to have a biological component or, oh, they launched it, we're screwed. Okay, this... well, the thing is that... Wow. Okay, I think the original hints at this a bit, but there's dragons in the Wild Arms world are, well, they're giant biomechanical super weapons. The Wild Arms 2, you can even recruit one, Lombardia, which is one of my favorite dragons ever. She's just a big drag draconic super weapon who can Looks turn like into a plane and fly you across the sky. She has homing missiles, and lasers, breath weapons. Sweet. I forgot about this. Oh my gosh. But yeah, also should mention, as we mentioned before, the second half of the game gets kind of weird because the enemy is an encroaching dimension. Another world is trying to possess Vilgaia or something. It makes no sense. You have to do all <laughs> abstract plans to stop it. Night Blazer does gold stuff for something. Yeah. Hmm. And then, well... Game. Then the main guy who's been basically your boss and thunder the entire game. Irving Volt like, Valeria. Yeah, he does a big. Well, he basically turns to a villain and becomes the penultimate boss by doing some weird thing with his. Well, he his, spends the entire game being a giant dick. Well, yeah, but. This is like the one time where your hero punches out a cripple and nobody thinks he's wrong for having done so. What the yeah. heck? You punch him in the face after he gets you sent to prison so that you can rescue your prisoner, like, teammate. And, like, nobody... It, everyone just doesn't care about the fact that you just punched a guy who needs a cane to walk. Oh, uh, a crutch, actually. Not even a cane. A crutch. Yeah, yeah, it's a crutch. I forgot that it was actually a crutch. The sprite's not super detailed. So it sounds like this game's a lot weirder than Wild Arms 1. Oh my gosh, it's such yeah. a freaking weird video game. It is much weirder, but it's more complex and interesting. It's actually a lot better character development and such as well. It's an interesting, interesting game, but like it, it doesn't come together as well as it could. And again, yeah, the translation but, is horrendous. Yeah, the translation is bad, but hey, this is a game that brings us a vampire who controls Golems as a party member. Which oh, yeah, and like, that. yeah, she's just weird. Who translated this one? Uh, this was Sony, which... Uh, oh! Oh! Well, we've never heard of Sony doing a bad translation. This guy, Arsic. <laughs> no, that, that's perfectly logical English. <laughs> Darn you, Black X. No, wait, that's square. If you want to grab this uh, this game, uh, other than getting on the PlayStation Network, which I would imagine it's probably about, what, 10 bucks there? Or 6 or 10, I don't remember. Yeah. I think, it's, I think it might be 6 you can get it. You can get it uh, in used condition from anywhere from ten to forty bucks, depending on uh, how clean the copy is. If you spent forty dollars on this, you got fleeced, chump. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a. There, I see a couple of copies on here for about uh, fifteen, twenty bucks. So uh, if you hurry up now, you might grab one of those. But after they're gone, it jumps up pretty quickly. Is fifteen bucks still getting fleeced? 
Uh, it's getting fleeced by virtue of the fact that it's more than you need to pay. <laughs> yeah. Like, um... Why not just download it where you can play it on multiple systems and it will look and play better? Yeah, I have to imagine that if you're a fan of Japanese role-playing games, you probably have one of the recent Sony consoles and therefore have a way to play this for really cheap. All right. As you, as you have not, Mr. Epps. Right? This is true. <laughs> He's so, playing it right now. Well, I'm playing it right I actually bought it as soon as it came out on PSN and said, I'll, you know what, I'll play this after I replay Wild Arms 1 again. And you can imagine how that went. Wheels, you have like the worst, absolute worst commitment to video games, even worse than I do. Wait, wait, wait. Hey, I don't that's, know. That's I think my title. It's a little better than Chris. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I have done two endings on Devil Survivor Overclocked. <laughs> which, yes, is strange for me. All right, so while everyone's rushing out to buy a PSP so they can play Wild Arms 2 on it, the way it was meant to be played on a two-and-a-half-inch screen, uh, we're going to take a brief respite, and when we come back, we're going to talk about which one comes next, Wild Arms 3 or Alter Code F? It's 3, then Alter Code F. All right. Based on 3. Wild Arms 3. We'll be right back. Arms 3 was developed by Media Vision and Sony Computer Entertainment, published in North America by Sony Computer Entertainment of America. This is a PlayStation 2 release on uh, released on October 15th, 2002. A single-player RPG experience for your PlayStation 2, coming to you on one glorious DVD-ROM. Now, um... I will tell you that, um, you know, playing this one about five years, four years, whatever, after the the first one, the first thing that made me immediately happy, well, two things that made me happy, cel-shaded graphics, and it looked a lot more Western. Yeah, <laughs> it is a lot more Western. It's still got this vestigial is... fantasy, but it's much more Western. Well, you it's got all kinds of crazy weirdness, which is, this is in some ways one of the weirdest of them, but... It's also far away the most western of all of them. And this, this is, my is the favorite only one where you game. can ride a horse. Yes, yeah, <laughs> the only one you can ride a horse, and, well, you basically have a posse of gunslingers. Are there trains in all of them? Uh, no. I don't no? believe the first one has trains. I don't think the second one does. It no, has the second one has things like hovercrafts. <laughs> the second one is teleporting by bouncing off of satellite dishes. And ah, yes. <laughs> exactly what you think of when the Wild West is mentioned yeah. satellite dishes. Yeah, three is the only one. Three and five are the ones that come closest to embracing the uh, freaking the, the western uh, locale. West. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and this one's a little less out there than five somehow. 
because, you know, this one's pretty out there. Five has you stabbing people with your gun magazines, so I'm perfectly fine with admitting that three is less out there than that. <laughs> <laughs> this game takes place on another version of the planet Philgaea. I hate that name. That is, <laughs> this one is for... Phil, how can you hate elevating yourself to the level of God? Whoever came up with this name needs to be shot with one of the few games that are found in this series. All right, so, anyways, this... A few games in the seven-game series. Yeah. This, uh, this world is, is more uh, desert in nature to the point of uh, even the seas are made of sand, supposedly the result of an ancient war. Four adventurers known as Drifters find themselves chosen to wield the power of the planet's spiritual protectors, the Guardians, to stop a prophesized but unknown menace to their world. As they adventure together, they are opposed by the other Drifter teams, from a trio of fanatical scientists called the Prophets, and from the demons of Figea legend, eventually making startling discoveries about their world's true history and their personal connections to it. You know, the more vodka I drink, the better these introductions get. Just <laughs> letting you guys know, it just gets better from here on out. Man, does it, and, you get, and you get your vodka in the Mormon locale of Salt Lake City. How, Phil? You know, they sell it from state-run stores here. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really great. So, the plot here, guys, doesn't look super heavy. I don't remember it being heavy when I played. Was it heavy and I just missed out on something? I wouldn't call it heavy, but it is a lot of fun. It's certainly it's kind of interesting less... because... You continue. Oh, it's, just, it's kind of interesting because it's split up into four chapters. Each have a slightly different opening and also a different villain, and different events and action going on with each. So, basically, the plot's going through major arcs and changing from time to time, so it's always... It's never been repetitive, always been kind of fresh. As you kind of cycle through villains, and things change and happen. And it's just a lot of fun in the way, because I really like the characters in this game. <laughs> but what about the plot? Yeah, I know. Yeah, we, hold on, we haven't got there yet. We're talking about the plot. <laughs> so what about the, what was it about the plot that grabbed, reached out and grabbed you? Um, I don't know. It's very Western <laughs> sometimes, especially in the first one. Uh, so far, it's, it's just... Uh, I'm having trouble saying exactly what grabbed me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, definitely the at least uh, you know as you're going through the different uh, settings and you're going through the missions and such, uh, you're going through the world. Everything from the towns to the people to uh, the interactions and the and the such. They definitely it, it's much much more western, you know, through and through. I mean, yeah, you get to ride a horse. You're you're going across these big barren lands. The fact that it's 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 a, a desert themed world. I mean, just everything. Uh, the buildings were. Uh, now these are 3D, if I remember correctly. Everything yeah. was 3D in this one. It was cell shaded, and the buildings and everything looked positively Western for once. It was just yeah, so very much female so. character is dressed like an 1800 Southern belle. Yeah, it, yeah, that was really cool. Uh, no, that was the first thing, and that's a that's a good point. That was the first thing that that, that struck out uh, to me when I was playing. Was yeah, the main character that you're running around most of the time as looks like a yeah. Western Bell, Southern Western Bell, or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if any oh, Southern Western Bells use dual Magnum pistols. Yeah, they did. It. Yeah, they did. The cool ones did. If you were smart about protecting yourself, you did. That's right. Uh, My, I, oh, I forgot to mention in two, they inter and into three, they introduced this incredibly irritating system about finding towns and dungeons by pressing. Oh, the we haven't got there. Over. We haven't got there yet. That's interaction. We will talk yeah, about that, that, though. That happened in two, and I was mentioning that we missed it. Oh, we're going to talk about it in well, three. We missed in two, really. Oh, we're going to talk about it in three, because, yeah. But we haven't got there yet. 
So characters, four characters, right? Virginia Maxwell's your main character. Yeah, Virginia Maxwell. Then there's uh, let me I can think of his last name. Uh, Clive Winslet, who's your experienced veteran with a giant sniper rifle. Did he have the, slow. It's crazy hard. Did he have the little pet with him? No, no pet, but he has a family. Oh, wife, kids. Somebody I have He's pet on Crazy rarity Something in RPGs. Very few people have in RPGs. Yeah, this is true. This is true, and and I I love it when games have older people older, being thirty, I guess. <laughs> Quote unquote older. Uh, older. Well, I feel really older. I'm in my thirties. Um, with uh, with kids and stuff. I I I mentioned this before. The only reason I even gone out and bought a uh, what near was because I heard the story was about a guy doing something for his daughter. Yeah, that I, I I haven't even played it. I just heard that plot. I'm like, I'm buying it. I'm supporting that. Good thing you didn't play near replicant. <laughs> then we had what Jed Enduro. Yeah, yeah Jed, Jed Enduro, Enduro, the quiet guy with a bad attitude who carries a submachine gun, which is absolutely required in every single RPG. Did he have spiky He's got, hair? Like, a ridiculous poncho. Mm. And then of course the guy with the coolest name of all, Gallows Carradine. There you go. Um, what was his deal? Yeah, that, that he's a magical of... Native American, and he's got like a sawed-off <laughs> shotgun. So yep. over overall, uh, guys, what um, you know? How did you feel about the the cast of characters? This is an awesome cast. It really, is one of my favorite of the whole series, and actually one of my favorite video game RPG casts in ever. Actually, mm-hmm. they just play off each other well and are fun to watch. How about um, did somebody else play this? Dave, did you play this? Yeah, I did actually. What was your feeling on the characters? Well, like, again, you got to remember, I played this right when it came out because I was actually a Wild Arms fan. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was, I want to say, let's see, this came out, what, late 2001, early 2002? Uh, yeah, or late 2002. So I was, like, 12, 11 or 12 when this came oh out. Oh, my God, get off my show. <laughs> <laughs> no, off, where's the hang-up button? Crap, I drink too much, I can't find it. You can't hang up on just one person yet. Come on. Uh, uh, yeah, I can. It's right here. I found it. Want to see it? No. Bloodsucker bragging about your age. I'm not bragging about my age. I am, in fact, anti-bragging about my age because at the time it was like I, I was just feeding into like stereotypes of what kind of anime character I wanted to play as. So I actually, uh, like at the time, I was like, oh, man, Jet's pretty cool because he's like that weird, awesome guy that has a submachine gun. Then I played it again years later and realized that uh, the best character is basically everyone but him. But <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh... so okay, for those of us who do remember at least a little something because we were older hey, than 12. I remember it. Um... I remember it. Like I said, I played it like five years ago. I will tell you that um, I will agree, uh, which is one of the few occasions I do agree with Nathan. I agree with Nathan. I, I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed their interactions. And in, in my opinion, aside from the really cool cel-shaded look of the characters and the towns, it was a close second place of the, the biggest element that, that drew me into the game. Because, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. And I thought they were pretty cool, original, for the most part, original characters. And doing the, other than uh, maybe Jet, which was, you know, came across as a typical amnesia, amnesia character with a chip he on his shoulder. Be a robot. Yeah, it turned out, of course. At least, and really more of a clone with weird magic origins than a robot. I could have sworn, sworn he had robot in him. On the bright side, at least he wasn't the main, the, the protagonist, main protagonist this time. He so. was robot yeah, actually, on his mother's side. 
basically <laughs> the thing about him is that he basically exists entirely for Virginia to ma- get mad at him and try to make him a better person. There you and go. So he becomes a fail. And fails. All right. So let's move on to oh boy, here we go. The interaction. <laughs> okay. And I I we're system. Let's get the elephant out of the room. I can't stand. I agree with you, dude. I hate the town finding system. I hate walking around, pressing circle, wondering, gosh, should I press circle or X or whatever it was all over this map to find the hidden towns? Who came up with this? A towns should not be hidden. I can understand using this system to find, you know, a, a you know, secret weapons that were buried underground or an ancient relic or whatever. Well, you can find some items. <sighs> the worst part is like you're looking for a town and it does like the whole oh, there's something here, and you find that it's five gala. <laughs> Damn it! Where's my town? <laughs> I was looking for the next part of the plot. Who, Screw you, video who, game. Whoever woke up and decided that, hmm, this would be a great gameplay element to help deepen our player's experience and, and really pull them into this RPG, just was smoking their piece pipe. It just, I it, can't remember if they kept the system in 4 and 5, or 4 and 5 had the good sense to get rid of it. 4 doesn't have a map system, so it, you have no yeah. overall map in 4, so you can't. But 5 has, I don't think you find towns with it, but you do find stuff by searching. And it's yeah, level. there is like a search function in 5. I, I didn't play 4. I played 5, but not 4. What's scary is that there's a couple of other games later on the PlayStation 3, and I want to say, going off the top of my head, I could be wrong. Angry people can ride in if I'm wrong. But I want to say, like, Cross Edge and stuff uses it, and it drives me bananas every time I play well, it. it's Cross Edge, so of course it's bad. Yeah, I know, but I, I blame Wild Arms. Wild Arms for this, because the first time I remember... Wild Arms yeah. inspired an entire Ta- generation of <laughs> Yeah, it inspired an entire generation of RPG crappy mechanics. It didn't uh. inspire Record of Agarest War, did it? No, I think you actually blame... I guess Record you can of Agarest War is five for that. Progeny. So, oh my goodness gracious. So, um... Uh, okay, let's move on to something that isn't so bad. Uh, there is, once again, in, in the interaction section, we do have the puzzle mechanics in the dungeons. How puzzles w- are awesome in this one. Yeah, they, they. I don't remember them being bad. So that usually awesome. means they're good. This one, yeah, <laughs> there's quite a bit of interesting stuff in this one, not the least of which is the fact that the Millennium Puzzle returns, which just takes the form of just random block puzzles you can find just sitting there in the world map. It's like, oh, hey, <sighs> I found a block puzzle. And then you can explore it and get an item. And some of these can be really hard and interesting, and I love the Millennium Puzzles. But they also aren't shoved in your face as much as in 2. No, they're almost totally optional, which is fun. Which is also a good choice, because some people don't want to bother. Yeah, I'm addictive like that. I get addicted to the Millennium Puzzles. I've solved every one in all the games. You just played the... Honestly, Wild Arms is just your favorite puzzle game series. The fact that it's an RPG is shocking to you. <laughs> hey, no. Actually, the thing is, like, I really love the battle system and character development system in this game. I, well, the I battle love system it. in this one is fairly similar to the others, but the good thing about it is that everyone's constantly running around everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really no. The things like there's more than just that. It's the whole guardian system. The whole in fact, every character's got you can equip up to three guardians to them. There's you can equip guardians in previous games in both one and two, but it, well, it's I was only thinking of that as benefit. more. I was thinking of that as more like out of battle. The battle system to me was more stuff like the, uh, yeah, never mind. Yeah, well, even the battle system itself, the fact that the previous games, every character also had four uh, force moves. That you can de- build up FP, then deplete them with force moves. 
And this one, everyone can, they actually reduce that, which actually helps balance them better and have them costed better. So a lot more useful and effective, even though you have fewer of them. So they, stuff like Gatling attack, which lets you attack a whole bunch of times at once, is a lot of fun. They also, speaking of Gatling, they made it so that everyone has guns now. So the way that it works is that like each of your characters has a separate like bullets counter. And when their bullets counter is done, until you guard, they will have to actually just attack with their fists. Yeah, and then there's other such things like the weight of their weapon affects their Gatling ability, and the, they have different, very different attack power, and they, they handle very differently. But also, everyone is carrying their one gun, but they have no other equipment, unlike the previous games, which have the you typical, go to a new guns. town, you buy a sword and buy an armor and what's not. This one, you don't have to worry about that. They don't, you, they just, that's one of the things I hate about RPG sometimes, it's the grind of getting equipment that doesn't mean anything. It's just you go buy a new town, you buy equipment, nothing changes. In this one, they just ignore it, since not going to be interesting, so they're just going to ignore it and just, you don't need that to deal with it. Like, if you want to make yourself stronger, you can grind and upgrade your guns, but it's just not something you have to feel obligated to do every time you see a new town. No, you, you can't. You don't need to. Oh, also, yeah. Like, you don't need dragon fossils to upgrade your guns Yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's dragon fossils that you need, and then there's like this one point in the game where you have to get a bunch of them, and you, it, you just kill something, and it gives you a bunch of dragon fossils. Yeah. That's also the thing that, you know, most, a lot of Dragon Falls are dropped by things like solving puzzles or going to a weird spot on the map. So it's not really about grinding at all. Yeah. Wild Arms 3 was actually a really good refinement of what had come before. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's a lot right in terms of battle system. And as I said, I really like its overall character building system of the uh, building of the three guardians. This lets you build your characters in all kinds of interesting ways, and you can even change it completely mid-battle. So it's like, I don't know, what Fall Fantasy VIII's battle system would be if it's actually really darn good instead of horribly bad. <laughs> if, uh, if FF8's whole junction system wasn't a giant, tedious chore. Yeah, pretty much. Can't send hate so, yeah, mail as, now. <laughs> as far as overall character building systems go, this is my favorite in the entire series. Hmm. Okay. Um, dare yeah. you besmirch the good name of Final Fantasy VIII. I would say out of the few that I've played, because I've played 1, 3, and 5, I haven't played 2 and 4, it sounds like I was really missing out on 2. We'll talk about 4 in a minute. I've got 4. I haven't played ah, it. Four. But um, uh, it sounds like I wasn't missing out too much on 2, so I'm, I'm going to hold strong to 3 being one of uh, my favorites. Um, and let's see here. Let's see what you can get this bad boy off for these days, because I'm doubt you're going to be able to grab that one on the PlayStation Network, because it's a PlayStation. Maybe one point. They've started doing PlayStation 2 classics. I wish they would do some more. I haven't seen them released too many lately. And... Well, they've, they've barely done any. Like, you can get weird obscurities like God Hand and a couple of things that people cared about. And then, mm-hmm. eh. They've, yeah, they've been doing like trickling them out very slowly. And since yeah, you mentioned God Hand, that's really worth getting boys and girls. Go out and grab that. No, it isn't. No, it's it really fun. Like, it's bad. It is fun as heck. And it's weird and whack like Wild Arms 2. <laughs> There's plenty of weird games that don't have camera angles not suited for their genre. No, oh, the camera oh. angles no big. Anyway, uh, we got, if you want to grab Wild Arms 3, uh, it's very findable. You can get a used copy uh, within the $10 range without any problems. Or you can buy it brand new in the shrink wrap for the low, low price of about 40 to 55 <laughs> I'd grab the used one. The concept of yeah. Brand- 
new Shrinkwrapped PS2 games. <laughs> Brand new Shrinkwrapped PlayStation. All right, well, uh, well if we... you can find it at a local GameStop, it's like five dollars. Yeah, that. that one's not actually hard to find at random GameStops as well. Yeah. So while everyone rushes to their game spot down the store to check that out, we're going to take another break and we'll be right back with Wild Arms 4, otherwise known as Detonator. Hold on tight. I think we're doing off code F first. Oh, Wild Arms. Oh, crud. Gotta stop drinking the vodka while I'm doing these shows. Oh, man. I played this one too. Okay, we'll be right back after these commercial messages. an enhanced remake of Wild Arms for your PlayStation 2 entertainment system developed by Media Vision and published by Sony and Japan, actually. Agitech. Agitech here in North America. The game features entirely new 3D environments. Five. Not one, not two, not four, but five new playable characters and many other improvements. The game's North America release was postponed several times, but it finally was released on November 15, 2005. This one came with a bonus DVD for your PlayStation 2 system with an episode, the very first episode of the Wild Arms anime series, Twilight Venom. Whoa! So with bonuses <laughs> and extra characters, this game, and, and we already, I mean, one of y'all already said that Wild Arms, the first one, was like your most favorite one of the series. So this one, this one must have totally blown your socks off, right? Actually, I really like this game. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not very good. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I it depends on whether or not you've played the first one. Uh, I think that's 
part of the yeah. yeah I, I didn't play the first and I like this one so I guess I'm not sure you guys are complaining about but I know <laughs> this thing actually has some its issues like they cut content that was in the original which kind of boggles my mind but I guess it's the fact that you know every generation is harder more expensive to develop for than the last there's several dungeons that are removed from this one compared to the original but they add a lot of characters. I argue against that inherently, simply by virtue of the fact that sometimes dungeons are placed in places that are bad for pacing. But it's just like there's a lot of alterations of questionable, like, like questionable alterations to the original game that kind of make it weird and not play as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's 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 the thing. What, what the reason why we wouldn't like it, and you probably would, was that you know we played this original once. So we're going into this. We're going into this remake with expectations, whereas you're not going into it with no expectations necessarily. So, all right. So help know, me. Not, not that the change is necessarily bad. Help me out here, okay? So you're saying okay. you're saying that you've played the first one, and that this one because on uh, because on the principle or whatever that you played the first one, you know better. You know that this one is That's- not that great. What uh, makes why, what makes uh, what? Why is it a step back from the first one? Why is it the? Why does the fact that you played the first one spoil, uh, make this one seem worse than somebody who hasn't played the first one? It's not so much thinking that like I know better. It's just a case of like this game does weird things and changes things for reasons that aren't entirely clear, and so sometimes it feels like the game is changing itself just to be different. Yeah, I, like... I think. I think the biggest example I could use is think of that uh, Lufia 2 remake. I'd rather not, but okay. <laughs> but, see, see, but there were people that Lufia actually... Lufia 2 the remake? I didn't yeah, Lufia, Curse of the Sinistrals. Yes. The but one that turned it into an action to- RPG? Yeah. That was totally sarcastic. Oh, well. Okay. Just making guess. sure. So it but it's... But it's just... It's, it's the same kind of issue. Like, I'm not going to make any judgment on whether or not that's a good game because I haven't played that remake. But, you know, when you remake a game, it comes with certain expectations because you're partially targeting it at the people that originally played the game, right? Uh-huh. So that when you make a lot of weird, unexpected changes that make it feel completely alien from the original game, you know, it, it's going to be feel bad for the people that... You know, had fond memories of the first game. Not so I guess necessarily understand that, right? I'm not necessarily going to make any judgment that this game is truly awful, but for me, it was. I, I will say that one thing I really want to like something that sort of is intermingling between story and uh, battle is that this game has Rudy use the arm as his primary weapon, and yeah, he ditches the sword. Yeah, in the original game, uh, like, you use the sword primarily, and then you pull out the arm, and it's just stupid powerful. Like, it's essentially the trick to beating the first boss, is realizing how stupid powerful the arm is, and use it over and over. But, like, when you're using it in this, like, it's, it's a partially a story thing, because when the villagers at the beginning of the game throw Rudy out, it's because they're terrified of just how strong the stupid gun is. And... Like, that doesn't really come across as well in the remake, because in the remake, he's just using it all the time, and there's nothing to really compare it to in terms of damage. Well, uh, it's pretty ludicrously powerful if you build it right. This thing. Yeah, if you build it right, but, but again, I'm talking about the very beginning of the game. Uh, I guess I can't remember exactly. I know it's 
Peter don't affect it still, but... Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah like, I guess I've never played the original, so I can't compare. It's the kind of thing that yeah. bugs you if you played a lot of it. I guess. I guess the thing is, like, just on its own merits, this is a fun game. It does a lot right. I mean... Oh, I, I it, can't really disagree with you there. Uh, I mean, obviously I didn't enjoy it, but... I'd just rather play the original as a thing. Okay, let's give me a minute to talk about why I like this one. Then. Oh, it's, go I ahead. Just saying, I just wanted to finish explaining myself. I just would rather play the original. Yeah. Right. So what did you like about it, Nathan? Well, it's this thing that... Well, it it's a lot of fun. I mean, it carries over a lot of the good ideas from Wild Arms 3 and it integrates them into the original. It ditches equipment so you no longer have to buy new swords and armor for characters in every town. They just don't have to worry about that at all. You know, there's an interesting skill system uses of where you can equip skills to characters. Nothing quite as advanced as threes, but you know, certainly functional and interesting. It throws in the optional Millennium puzzles, and they're perhaps even better than they were in Wild Arms 3. And there's a lot of interesting rewards for them. And basically, it's still a fun gameplay, and I like the, some of the optional characters they add, and the gameplay options they add. Yeah. Hold on one second. We're going to get Nathan back on the line here. A little technical. Go ahead, Nathan. I'm sorry we lost you for a second. I'm just, well, there's, as I said, there's a lot of things I like. They, a lot of what they added and changed, is, especially gameplay-wise, is really interesting and fun. And I like the new characters, the new gameplay systems, and other such things. I mean, again, I, I don't know how to compare it to the original, since I never really played the original as it was. But I like how yeah. things go in this one. Yeah, see, that's the thing. They probably did make a lot of changes that, had I been able to give it a fair chance, which was for me was just impossible, I probably would have liked it. But, you know, you, you know, one of the things that bothered me right away was the searching searching for towns mechanic. Oh gosh, yeah, they which, did insert that into the original because it originally was something they only just brought in with two. Ooh, searching for yeah, towns. So, that for me, having only played the original, that was incredibly jarring. I want to know who woke up and thought that was a great idea. So much so that apparently know. they had to put it into the remake. Even, even if it is a good idea, you know, you, you have to be careful when you do a remake. Yeah, you have you to know? be careful about how much you modernize and how much you leave behind. You leave as it was because that's what people know about the game. I know. Yeah, this is one that does goes heavily towards the remake changing things up. Not, it doesn't turn into a different game. It's still very much the same game, I believe, but it's still very different as far as you can be within still be the same story and everything. I, yeah, I, like, mechanically, it's a very, very different beast from the original Wild Arms. I know this... still, at the same time, it's not a total clone of the previous games. It's, it uses MP and ammo, like the original Wild Arms, rather than the FP system from 2 and 3, where you, you simply have to build up FP and then you spill as much as you want once you have the minimum required amount. I don't, we didn't get into that in those two games, but it's an interesting mechanic introduced in them that I liked. But it's not here, because it just doesn't suit it, I guess. Um, I mean, I guess I kind of know how, what y'all are talking about, those of you who played the first one, because I know with, I, I, you know, I loved Final Fantasy IV slash Final Fantasy II back on the Super Nintendo days. And then when they came out the DS remake, 
I was okay with the 3D graphics, and they had done some enhancements to bring it to the DS. That was cool. But what yeah. I didn't appreciate was how they changed the mechanics of how the character growth worked in the fact that you could inherit the other skills from characters who, who you know, passed on in the story or, you know, whatever. Yeah, probably a very good comparison. Is- yeah, I would think that if you were looking at the FF4 DS reaction, you would find that the Wild Arms Ultra Code F reaction was very much the same thing in miniature. Yeah, I, I yeah I can't really compare directly, but I think you know this bottoms for the bottoms Ultra Code F is certainly a better remake. In fact, I think its story scenes are handled well. It does a very good job of presenting story scenes as interesting. Whereas the, I think even on its own merits, Prophecy 4DS is terrible story scenes and it's adapted badly. But I mean, Ultra Code <laughs> F it looks it's a great looking game. It looks good. It, but then presented well. It's, I mean, it looks way better than the original, I presume, based off of what you're talking about. So. <laughs> well, the, the 3D know. looks better, the 2D not. As, like, I really like the charm of these sprite graphics in Wild Arms Once Overworld. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed with the. Uh, I mean, the, I like the battle graphics better, but outside of battle, I was pretty disappointed. So, how about the, uh, the graphics? Since this is a remake, were the graphics a step up? The battle graphics are better. The town graphics are a matter of preference, though I would stick with sprites. I would have liked it better if they had actually cell shaded this one like they did 3. Yeah, that's the big difference. It's, it basically looks exactly like Wild Arms 3 in, in both in, in the field and in battle, but they just don't have cell shading. That's the only difference. They, in fact, they use some of the, some of the animations in Wild Arms are taken directly from 3. It's pretty clear that they were working from the same engine. Yeah, the same people running around mid-battle and all that. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So a couple of diverse uh, opinions on this particular title. Um, Let's see here. Alter Code F. Uh, for the PlayStation 2 2005 <laughs> here. Whoa! Holy sweet mother of hard-to-find games. Yeah. Wow. $121. Weird. I found it in a bargain bin for about 15 about three oh. years ago. Oh. <laughs> I gotta say that this is yet another game I didn't realize I had that was worth that much. Whoa, whoa. Let me look at my... I can safely say that regardless of what you think of it, it's probably not worth that much. <laughs> Wow, and to think I got rid of this years ago. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I should have kept uh, it. I could have been rich beyond my wildest Phil, dreams. You, you should know never to get rid of these, you know, Wild Arms games. RPGs. I, I want to talk a bit. Price. I, I want to mention that I own two copies of the Wild Arms Twilight Venom. Wait, wait, wait. Guys, guys, I got it here. It just wasn't on my spreadsheet, but it's here. I'm holding it in my hands. Oh, I'm holding it over my head like, like Lincoln's. Da, 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 da. Oh my god! Uh, I I own two copies of the Wild Arms Twilight Venom bonus DVD because I bought a completely unrelated game from a Hollywood video that was going out of business. Oh no! And and like they handed me like I think it was Shadow Hearts from the New World because they were stocking that for some reason. Uh huh. And they hand it to me and I look inside and it's got Shadow Hearts and it's got Wild Arms Twilight Venom stacked on top of it and I'm like, guys, I think you gave me the wrong game he's like no it's underneath there and if you don't take the wild arms twilight venom dvd we are literally just gonna throw it away so i took it i don't think i even got yeah it's wild arms twilight venom isn't that great not good <laughs> yeah i just thought it was weird that i now have two copies of it i'm so sorry 
Wow. That was a completely free fi- frisbee I got. I don't even think <laughs> I have it on – I don't know why I don't have it on my spreadsheet. That's odd. I, I keep a spreadsheet on all my backlog and stuff. Huh. Man, you should get on eBay. I know. I a giant tub full of games that the cat, like, pissed on the list that had what it all was in it. So now I have to go back and reorganize it. I think I took it off the list because I was fitting to give it to a little kid or something. Wow, that was a mistake. Almost a mistake. Child used it as frisbee. Now it's worth nothing. Now it's worth nothing. Holy cow! All right. Well, well. While I go and list my copy on eBay, <laughs> we'll be taking a little break. We'll be right back. Hold on tight. back to talk about Wild Arms 4. This time we're talking about Detonator. This was developed by Media Vision, published by XC Games here in North America. Uh, this was released in North America on January 10th, 2006 for your PlayStation 2 Entertainment System. A single R play... A single R... Roll RGG. Yeah, I guess... Single player RPG experience rated T for teen. Coming to you on one DVD ROM with really cool anime pictures on the front. They look really cool. They look really awesome. This must be a great game, right guys? This is the least Western game in the series and it's baffling. But no, but... It's, no, no, no. I'll counter that a bit. It's actually rather interesting. It, it's kind of hit. Wild Arms Four is a fun game, but it, it's I won't say it's not really Western, but it's also interesting. It it still touches on similar era, same era as the Western era, just a different place. You see, this is it's very much World War One, post World War One, same era where the the West was dying, the frontier was closing. This is the same era as that, and it's actually. Very loyal to that era in terms of the look of the characters and the towns and clothing and everything. Like I'll admit, I didn't play much of 4. I think I may have rented it once, but never really played much of it because, I don't know, something about like seeing previews of it turned me off, so I didn't really come back to the series till 5. Yeah, Which, well, from what I've heard, plays very similarly. Okay, well, then I'll just kind of get into it. Actually, 5 plays very differently as far as you can be within the same... The notations huh. are using the same hex battle system. And I'll get into that when we talk about five. But yeah, Wildlands Four is a fun game. It's a bit weird and very different from other Wildlands games. In fact, that it doesn't have an overworld, so no, no hunting for things with searches. But instead, and also, most of its fields and dungeons—well, not the towns aren't like this—but all of its dungeons are two-dimensional. They're platformers. You can kind of jump through them and hop around, and uh, this whole platforming segments where you can. Do things like you know, jump, collect coins, go for bonus <laughs> scores, and all at that the very stuff. least, this was a unique concept. It was. It it's questionable how well it works. It can be kind of frustrating at times, but it's you know a unique, fun, interesting thing in its own how way. How many other platformer RPGs not called Paper Mario do you know of aside from maybe Valkyrie Profile? Yeah, except maybe Valkyrie Profile isn't really a platformer though. It's just two D. Yeah. This one's actually a platformer. Yeah, like it, it has 
more like it has you're expected to jump. <laughs> yeah, this one is well this one even has a mini game in which is it's entirely just playing the game as if it's Super Mario. With actually it's mixed results. This platforming this game can be kind of iffy at times, but it still can be a lot of fun. Especially since it's uh, basically the main character's ability, which is basically the accelerator ability from the previous Wild Arms game, so which was just a special ability which let the characters act at the beginning of the turn. But this one, that's an in-platformer mode, basically stop time and uh, <laughs> do different special effects while just so you can do stop time platforming, which can be kind of a fun dynamic. Hmm. If nothing else, it was a very strange game. Like, this was them deciding that Wild Arms could not continue to just be a standard Japanese RPG, that it needed to be something different. Well, it still is a standard Japanese RPG, as much as you can define such a thing. But it just has a lot of unique quirks that make it fun and interesting. So... Like, yeah... Well, I guess we can talk about the battle system. Yeah, let's first start off uh, touching base on the plot and the storyline. So we have Jude Matter, Maverick. He's grown up in an isolated town called Ciel, which is completely enclosed in a large sphere floating thousands of feet above the surface of my favorite, favoritely named world, Phil Gaia. Um, his shelter world changes forever when he sees that the sky tear and ships enter his homeland. Upon inspecting the campsite set up by the intruders, he sees something else that he has never seen before. A girl. <gasps> well, it reminds me of my first days in high school. Anyways, the girl's name is Yuli, and she is being held captive by the intruders after being captured by a drifter for hire, Arnud G. Vasquez. After the invading army attacks Ciel and brings the sphere crashing down, Jude, Yuli, and Arun join forces to find the army's true intention behind Yuli's abduction. With the help of another drifter, Raquel, these four idealistic teens travel the war-toward land of Figea in search of truth, their own identities, and their separate paths to adulthood. Wow. That's exciting. I... rather like the story in this game, especially because this is a yet another great cast of four main characters. It's pretty much as good as the Wild Arms 3 cast, in my opinion. It's just, they're a lot of fun, they have interesting interactions, and there's actually a certain amount of depth to them. It's a lot, it's actually a much darker game than previous Wild Arms games in many ways. There's a lot more grim stuff going on, and even the ending can be kind of depressing and bittersweet. And that's one thing I like about it, it's willing to take some of those steps. It's basically the entire Phil Gaia, and this time the basic disaster is, hey, it had a world war. It's like World War One, except you know bigger. Or two great countries fought, fought off, and one was completely annihilated, and the entire world is ruins from the aftermath of that. And basically, all of the plot is that basically people are trying to deal with the aftermath of some of that. So it's like and if World War Three had actually happened. Yeah, pretty much. It's like that, even down to you know nuclear tragedies, though of somewhat different sort. That's got potential, yeah. Yeah, and, well, there's a lot of... Ki- ah, I'm not failing on how to really describe things. It's been a little while since I played it, but... Uh, Jude Maverick is basically your stereotypical, extremely hyperactive and confident young kid. Uh, basically, he's there to... He pushes people along, uh, and being really courageous and hot-blooded. Also, he's incredibly powerful because he has an arms. Back to Wild Arms 1 style... Not many people can use these. In fact, there's only like three people, three or four people who can. And what does ARMS stand for this time? Um, it's, <laughs> this time it's ambient reorganization material. Basically, oh, in, this, <laughs> in this one, ARMS are nanomachine cluster. They're the basic ARMS that the main hero Jude uses. 
is a basically its normal form is a pile of sand. However, when he touches it, it becomes a gun, or it can, you can turn it into a sword. Its real name Shapeshifter, and it can even become a giant energy cannon bazooka and various other things. And so you can all these different attacks, it takes a different form, and, which is it's really kind of interesting. Um, let's see here. The next is Yuli, who's the girl who has a special ability to manipulate arms and improve them. Um, she's basically constantly worrying over her brother Kresnik, who's a member of the enemy forces, who uses drugs in order to use his arms, and they have negative side effects on him. Uh, the next character is Arnaud, who's the most laid back and not as dark character, but he's his own struggles in trying to help out the characters who are characters like Yuli, who is the subject of military experiments, or Raquel, helps him, kind of drags him into some of the darkness. Uh, did I mention Yuli was the subject of military experiments? Because that's the origin of her powers. Uh, you, the reason that Jude can use the used arms at all is kind of an, left unexplained directly, but it's strongly implied simply because it's, this, it's the child of a, a soldier who was genetically re-engineered. Anyway, the last character is Raquel, who's the big sister of the team was calm and confident and skilled, but also terminally ill due to radiation poisoning. She kind of keeps that one a secret, but it's still there. So yeah, that sums up the cast and how dark things can kind of be. Did she get radiation poisoning while in her mother's womb or as a baby? Uh, no, while she no, she was radiation poisoned as a young girl when okay. the giant nuclear reactor in her town went haywire at the end of the last war. Shades of Chernobyl, almost. Yeah, kind of like that. Also, some other other things. Uh, more, I think can't even really remember why it went bad. No, it's kind of interesting that the nuclear reactor that went bad that gave her radiation poisoning is actually named after the nuclear dragon from Wild Arms Two. So, is that a good thing or a bad? Is that a, is that a title of honor or defamation? I don't know. I don't know. It's just the kind of thing that Wild Arms games love referencing each other and just weird, incomprehensible ways, and that's one of them. One of the things I like about the series as a whole. And yeah, basically the whole plot is these four characters, their own problems are being... Well, basically, they have the power of the arms, and people want them because of Yuli's abilities and Jude's gun and all of that kind of thing. And thus, basically, a group of people who aren't all bad, but don't really... are kind of apathetic to the hero's plights. It's, it's a military group called Brianak just start chasing after them, and Basically, the entire game is one long run from Brianak. It lacks some of the complexities of the other ones. There's no, I guess the basic action of the plot's actually kind of dull in this one, which is kind of bad. But the character growth and dynamics are make up for it, and they're a lot of definitely the main starring point of the game. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like one long chase setup, which could do very well for a character-driven backdrop setup study. Yeah, it's basically the plot is just a long series of arbitrary boss fights against Brevenak soldiers, but it adds a lot of tension to the overall things and it helps put all the focus on the character growth. Uh, overall, the plot is a lot less weird and wild than some previous ones. But it's also, <laughs> of course, elements like nanomachines and super technology and stuff. But there's less appearances of things like giants, five arc dragons, or demons and whatnot. And this one takes the Western concept not as seriously as three, right? <clears throat> well, yeah, it's not Western. I said it's very much more post World War One Europe. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, still kind of a shame just because the the West is so underrepresented in games of all colors. Yeah. Hmm. Up 
next Wild Arms 3 Red Dead Redemption Marathon. <laughs> right? Oh. Hmm. You think Rockstar is going to buy Media Vision? Yes. I hope not. Red Dead and Arms. I think Sony has the right to the IP anyways. Media Vision's off making chaos rings these days. Mm. Nope, not buying an iPhone for that. Sorry. You can grab Wild Arms 4 for about 20 bucks on the average used. Is it worth 20 bucks, Nathan? Um, yeah, I'd say so, just because, you know, its main battle system is actually quite a lot of fun. The basic character growth system in this game isn't anywhere near as interesting as 3's. Actually, I kind of hate this one's main basic character development system. Mm -hmm. But this game introduces the hex battle system, which is basically all battles take place on a grid of seven hexagons. Okay. And, and in fact, multiple characters can stand in the same grid space. And Ace, and whenever you use an item or attack, the attack is directed towards the hex or, or rather than a, towards the character. That's, for example, if three people are standing in the same hex, if you attack that hex, you'll hit all three targets. So it's kind of like an interesting hybrid between a normal battle system and a more of a tactical RPG battle system, and it's kind of very fast and dynamic, and adds a bit of stretch, a bit of strategy and depth to things. So I really like it, actually. So bonus, uh, bonus, uh, yeah, yeah. That sounds more strategic than the normal, than what we played in the earlier Wild Arms games. So that's cool. I like more st strategy in my battle systems, as everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Well, this game, I will say the battle system is kind of imbalanced. Definitely so. there's, well, basically Raquel destroys everything. She's awesome. She just walks up and crushes everything. Her basic attack is the best single thing you can do in the entire game, pretty much. Huh. I've seen her even defeat, I've seen YouTube videos of her defeating Raguel Ragula in a single attack, <laughs> which is pretty intense considering Raguel Ragula is, it's always been a crazy hard final boss. Uh, well, beyond final boss in yeah, all of these a, games. It's one of the in every game, it's a ridiculous super boss that you have to yeah, work forever it, to get to. Yeah, it's like it's real, the really one well done things that Ragula Ragula is always just like two steps above everything else in most Wild Arms games. In this one, I completely curb stomped the entire post game because of a couple really winning strategies, namely lock down the enemy, put on every day buff, put off your party on singles hex, put on every buff. You'll just destroy the enemy that way. Ragula Ragula doesn't take that. I'll just wipe out your entire party in a single attack. Even yeah. if, if you've defeated every other fight, super bo in game boss. Hmm. Hmm. Basically, okay, an interesting thing about Wild Arms 4 is that it actually you can carry over safe data from Wild Arms Ultra Code F into it. Normally, in order to even fight Ragula Ragula, you need to be played through the game on a second time into Wild Arms 4. But if you carry over Ultra Code F data, you can do it in your first attempt and give you other bonuses. But still, in order to beat Ragula Ragula, you know, fighting him is one thing. Beating him probably does require resetting because you need to give up party levels in order to even fight him and stuff like that, which is kind of a pain. Right. So if you, so if you, um, if you've beaten Ultra Code F, you get bonuses in four. Yeah, if you transfer the data, for example. Somewhere in Ultra Code F, you get the choice to upgrade Rudy's lock-on ability. Uh, if you do so, you can actually carry that dote over into Wild Arms 4 and give it to Yuli's brother Krasnick when he joins briefly. And he'll get the upgraded lock-on ability instead of his original lock-on. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. You can also get a special item which lets you do a combination attack with the characters, which actually summons the heroes of the original Wild Arms. And they're horrible voice acting. They did... <laughs> The voice acting in this game generally isn't bad, but the original Wild Arms characters, it's terrible. Be warned. 
<laughs> okay. Hmm. Alrighty. So, alright. Well, we've talked about the prize. We've talked about where you can get it. That's Wild Arms 4. We're gonna... We're gonna take another brief break, and we'll be right back to talk about Wild Arms 5. Which is like the big 10th anniversary deal, I remember. Because I got it. We'll be right back. Right, so Wild Arms 5, the special 10th anniversary edition or something along those lines. <laughs> this was developed by Media Vision, published in North America by Exceed. Uh, this was released in North America on August 28, 2007. This is a single-player RPG experience for your PlayStation 2 gaming device. This is rated T for teen and this was released on one dvd rom and i remember it coming in a really fancy box <laughs> with lots of cool little stuffs in it i don't remember it's been a while i got the art book i think it had an art book it probably had a sound soundtrack or something but uh, uh yeah it was kind of spiffy because it was like the 10th anniversary of wild arms and it was on sale that's why i picked it up <laughs> and so far it appears to be the last one does crossfire come before or after this one the uh, crossfire came after this one. Yeah. So, um, once again, Wild Arms 5 takes place on the world of... <clears throat> oh my gosh, I hate to... Philgaea. <sighs> Humans are currently being ruled over by Varuni, an alien race that landed on Philgaea 100 years ago. Dean Stark, the protagonist of the story, lives in a secluded village away from all that terrible turmoil. He dreams of one day leaving the village to pursue his own dreams of becoming a golem hunter. Someone who excavates ancient robots like his idol Nightburn. Hold on, I gotta drink some more vodka to make this good. Alright. While in the mountains, Dean and his childhood friend Rebecca spot a golem's arm fall from the sky and land in a cave just in front of them. Of course, if it falls from the sky, it's going to naturally land right in the smack dab in the middle of a cave. When they, upon entering the cave, they find a girl curled up within the golem's hand. The girl only remembers two things, her name and the words Johnny Appleseed. After receiving the pair of... <laughs> I can't make this up, I tried, and I'm drinking vodka. <laughs> After receiving the pair of arms she was holding, Dean, along with Avil and Rebecca, decide to embark on an adventure to find out what the words... Johnny Appleseed really mean they don't have to go on a journey. I can tell them the story of Johnny Appleseed. Hey, Phil, do you have an apple tree in the yard? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm going to plant one just for these poor people. <laughs> Meanwhile, a revolt has begun within the Varuni government. A man named Valsung has overthrown the leader of the radical faction, sworn enemies of the more peaceful moderator faction, claiming that his violent actions are necessary for the survival of the Varuni. Not, not the moderate faction, the moderator faction? The moderator fa I can't make this up, Minky, if I tried. Is Charlie Rose a member of the moderator faction? No, I don't think so. Not this one. Yeah, I'm going to say it right now. Wild Arms 5's plot is a little strange. Uh, 
normally I'm really good at remembering the plots of various games I've played, but I just drew a blank from trying to think of what happened in this game for some reason. I don't even know why. <laughs> I seem to recall time looping comes into it at some point. Yes, at the very end, only at the very end, it's revealed that the entire thing takes place within a certain odd time loop, which only exists for one character. Yeah, one character gets to time loop for the entire game forever, and everyone else moves on with their lives. Yeah, pretty much. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, uh, this this is definitely an interesting game. Uh, this not my normal positive use of the word interesting, though I do like it quite a bit. It's just, its plot can be not very sensical or as good as some of the previous ones, sadly. No. Still has some good merits. Ah, I just can't remember it for some reason. It's like a weird black hole in my memory of video games. So you're saying it's not a very memorable plot? I guess not. <laughs> All I remember is that everyone obsesses over the words Johnny Appleseed, and just the characters stumble around just forever ignorant of what Johnny Appleseed means until like the very end. Even uh, though that's still, like the one thing they're looking at. Know what this is. Let's make it the game too fun so um oh boy so what about the characters are they more memorable than the plot for the search of johnny appleseed well they're more memorable than the plot but well they're serviceable but they're more comparable to wild arms 2 than the good casts of 3 and 4 uh, especially since there's like the three main characters of dean rebecca and avril and then there's like, the three secondary characters who aren't as important who tag along with them we're mostly there for fighting. Mm. <sighs> uh, let's see here. So, which character did you like the best? Uh, Avril, because she's actually kind of interesting, fun. What about the um? So, what about the battle system? It was a lot like four, wasn't it? Yeah, it's the basically it reuses force hex battle system. Uh-huh. A little more complexity because uh, unlike. Well, unlike the four, which has a static party of four members at all times, this one you can use three members out of a six-person team, so you're swapped between party members mid-battle. Uh. Also, the whole battle system is sped up a lot. In Wild Arms 4, you can either move or attack on your turn. In 5, you can move and attack in your turn, which changes the entire pacing of it a lot and makes it a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Also, unlike in 4, sometimes the hexes are arranged in ways other than just the single hex run by 6. And so you can have like all of them arranged in a line or something. Mm-hmm. And the, so it actually has a little extra added tactical depth and it's somewhat faster pace. It, some abilities are a lot less valuable because of that, but overall it's actually rather interesting. And they also removed one of the main strategies from Wild 4, which kind of turns all of the in-game bosses into a, the same strategy that always works. Namely, you can't actually lock an enemy into a hex. You can only lock it out of a hex. So it actually changes the strategies up completely. Hmm. Also, it uses kind of a limited version of Wild Arms 3's system. Nowhere near as good. And so it's a marginally better than Wild Arms 4's, but not that much. Because it's well, basically just a reskinned version of that for, in terms of character development. And yeah... I'm, I'm not sure what to say about this one. It's certainly interesting. I remember liking it quite a bit, but it's uh, hardly memorable. The b- battles are fun. I'll say that. Also, you can control a giant robot in this one, which, as the <coughs> mecha fanboy I am, is always a plus. Wait, 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 wait. So it's supposed to yeah. be a Western-style RPG, <laughs> but you can control gigantic robots. 
It's a giant robot that's appeared in every previous Wild Arms game in some to in some extent. So hey, it's about time. Phil, it's maybe, prepared. but that's bringing back memories of Wild Wild West. That's not a good idea. I want to say what was that? What was that movie with Will Smith and they were There's no giant mechanical spiders in this, as far as I remember. Wild Wild West. That was the Wild Wild West with Will Smith. That was it. And, oh, okay. That was, and didn't that have a scene where he was trying to uh, fast talk his way past some clan members? Actually, I don't think that would be anywhere in the Wild Arms series for the for good reason. I don't think there are black people in Wild Arms. oh my goodness gracious here comes the fan mail now all right to be fair like there aren't it's not it's not uncommon in japanese rpgs like there just aren't a lot of them there's the black swordsman with the afro in wild arms 3 oh of course afro yeah Sure can't get enough of those. Send your angry send your angry email to Nathan Schultzlin at rpgamer.com. Okay. So <laughs> please don't. That's Apple's job. <laughs> Michael Labs wheels at rpgamer.com. <laughs> yes, I accept all your hate mail. Sin- he accepts all of your questioning mail too, so send him all the wild arms questions. Uh, you, all could, of them. you could send him questions about why you hate him so much. <laughs> Why do I hate you so much, Wheels? <laughs> About your black com- something to do with your black comments on Wild Arms. Oh my goodness gracious. Okay, so. Yeah, what's your problem with Tales of Fantasia, Wheels? It's terrible. Because it's it terrible. terrible. Oh, he did not just say that. I agree with him. He did. Tales of Fantasia is an awful video game. He did not. I enjoyed it as far as I've played it. The only but thing wait, I think this is a good off topic. The only thing worse care. than Tales of Fantasia is the Game Boy Advance version of Tales of Fantasia. <laughs> Which is actually what I played and enjoyed. So. Yes, I enjoyed that Game Boy Advance version. It's not good. I put about 70 hours into it. Why? <laughs> Why? Why would I mean, you you'd have that? to ask. You'd have to ask the me of about six years ago to say that, because okay. that's how long it's been since I touched it, pretty much. Just don't touch it again. Leave those memories where they are. <laughs> Leave those scenarios where they are. I gather it has something to do with uh, Tales games got a lot better, right? Uh, yes. No, no. Well, yes, like yes. other Tales games are better, but that one just isn't good. Okay, <laughs> like, how did we get on a Tales discussion in the middle of talking about Wild Arms? Um, we're because talking about I'm sending me hate mail. <laughs> okay, because we need to have a random digression every now and then, and it's over. Because I, I'm so far past on. I never played Crossfire. <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Alright, fine. Did anyone play Crossfire? I played Crossfire. I'm not done with it yet, though. I played Crossfire, and I will tell you about my very brief experience and why it was brief when we come back after <laughs> these commercial messages. want you to think that I forgot, but I did look up the price of Wild Arms 5. You can grab Wild Arms 5 for about 25 bucks used, or 55 bucks if you're one of those people who need it in the shrink wrap. So there you go. 
Uh, Wild Arms XF, developed by Media Vision, published in North America by Xseed Games. This Yay, was released. <laughs> this was released in North America <laughs> on March 11, 2008. This is a single-player tactical. That's right, tactical RPG experience for your PSP portable gaming entertainment system, coming to you on one fresh, hot, steaming UMD. Do we really want a UMD to be steaming? It is hot. It is steaming. It's like a hot potato. Well, if it's steaming, then you can't play it. So in this case, that may be a benefit. This game's story centers around a group of knights called Chevalier Blanc and how the protagonist and her knights take back the Kingdom of Ulysses, which is being controlled by the Council of Elder Statesmen. The Princess Royal of the Kingdom died in an accident. That's what they get for driving stagecoaches. And the king is too ill to rule, which brought about the rise of the council. Like other Wild Arms titles, this takes place on the dying planet Filgaria. I wish it would just die already. This time, where the remaining natural resources, food, land, and financial assets are at the center of continued arms confrontations. Despite this, Ulysses, whatever the hell, is one of the few places, <laughs> one of the few peaceful places on Filgaia. Chevalier Blanc's beginnings are anything but noble. Two drifters, Calissa Alwyn and her adaptive brother, Phileas come to the kingdom of Ulysses in pursuit of a drifter named Rupert Dangridge, who five years ago slew Crilluris's mother, internet archaeologist Melissa Aaron, and took from her the powerful sword Inscabate. Well, whoever comes up with this crap, man! <laughs> Don't they know people are drinking when they're reading this? Iskander. Still, you lost me at Rupert. Hush! Clarissa's mission <laughs> is solely to retrieve that sword, but before much time has passed, she's been confused. I'm the, she's not the only one who's confused. For Alexia Lynn Elisarus, her heir presumpt, presumptive to be the... Th- okay, I give up on this crap. Who, who knows anything about... You know what? If, if you know about the plot of the story, please write in, because I can't make heads or tails of these notes here. Why would you want to know more about it? <laughs> this is just, it's just incredibly messed up. Oh, no, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta drink more just after reading this. Um, well, actually, I've been really enjoying the plot so far from what I've been oh, playing. please put some reason to this crap I just read. Well, I actually kind of wasn't really paying attention while you were reading that. But, uh, basically, uh, hmm. I'm not sure what to say, actually. <laughs> As I said, I haven't actually gotten anywhere past, you know, midway through Chapter 2, so it's not like I know the full plot, but the, I guess, more or less simply... Kingdom of Elysius is in trouble, and Clarissa, on her way in to try to find her family's swords, is forced to well disguise herself as a, the believed dead princess of the kingdom in order to uh, well help people out against what she sees as the local oppression. And she can then organize this group to help fight it, and while disguised as the dead princess. And that's really about as far as I've seen. But it's been executed pretty darn well so far. This kind of thing is all about the execution. It's done quite well in this one. There's also some random things like, you know, zombies. I know there's typical wild arms weirdness in here somewhere, but I've yet to get to it. Zombies, huh? Yes, zombies. It's always about the zombies in a Western game. <sighs> yeah, this one really doesn't have many trappings of the West. Like, the very first scene does, mm-hmm. but once you get to the main setting, no. It's really not there as much. Our nation. Why are we not surprised? <clears throat> All right, so 
So the, the 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 big difference between this and the other Wild Arms games is this is a tactical uh, RPG experience, right? And um, and so you got classes. And this is kind of got Final Fantasy Tactics feel to it. If I remember, I played a few levels of it. So uh, what can you tell us about the different classes, Nathan? Um, well, there's a lot of them, and they're actually all kind of weird. It's the thing is that this game classes aren't as straightforward as they are in other tactical RPGs like Tactics Ogre, Prophecy Tactics. They have they have an interesting collection of different abilities and that aren't directly based on anything from previous games either. Like you've got like the Fantastica, which is roughly does support and equips bells and badges and has a special ability to hit blocks and make them move. Most classes are kind of like that. I mean, the most straightforward is the Secular, which is basically it walks up and hits things hard. Mm. Or the Sentinel, which is it's got heavy armor. But even then, one of the most important attributes of the Sentinel is that its heavy armor is so heavy it can step on switches that it require high weight in order to be moved. Because that's the kind of game this is. It's, well, every battle is very much a puzzle. It's still a Wild Arms game where puzzles are important. And in this one, they happen in the middle of big, complex tactical fights. And this is where this is where we run into a little bit of an issue. So, I'm a tactical fan, and I like games like Final Fantasy Tactics, where I'm given a huge slew of class different uh, different class choices, and I can kind of just cherry pick what I think will work well together. Um, and generally, as long as it's a good combination where the weaknesses are covered and there's some strengths being brought to bear, I'm going to do okay. It, it's a strategy game. In this game, a lot of the battles have strong puzzle elements. And so what happens is once you've begun the battle uh, and the scenario plays out in the battle, you realize, OMG, I needed XYZ class because only XYZ class or one or two classes or whatever will be able to, to help me meet these conditions or to make XYZ happen. So it becomes more of a trial and error deal where you, you play through it, you, you hit a brick wall, you realize, oh, the, the scenario is set up specifically for one or a few different classes or whatever have you, and you specifically need to bring that to the party. Now, people who like puzzle games and don't mind trial and error – they're going to enjoy that aspect of it. People who okay, I'm going to just interfere and disagree with you here. For one thing, it's not about trial and error. Simply because at the start of every major fight, you have your tactician tell you basically this is the strategy for the game, for this mission, and recommends classes and some character types. So yeah, but it's, it's still well it's still so now the game is also, now the game is telling me straight up I need to bring those classes into this battle. I mean, whether or not it says at the beginning or not, it's more puzzly than a typical strategy in like Final Fantasy Tactics. Final Fantasy Tactics... Yeah, well, the thing is, like, Final Fantasy Tactics isn't actually very tactical. It doesn't require complex strategy or detailed movements. It's very loose. I mean, Final Fantasy Tactics itself well, is basically about overpowering your opponents with overpowered spells. You're, you're describing... Yeah, but you're describing more of the t- uh, of the difficulty than the, the, the flavor of the game itself. Yeah, Final well, Fantasy no, Tactics... Final Fantasy Tactics well, doesn't require... Yeah, you can you can come up with a party, you can grind up. That's part of any RPG where you can basically outgrind anything and level up past it. Well, not really. That's not every RPG is like that. Most well, RPGs, most RPGs, you can you can outlevel or overpower or whatever. And, and while Electronics Gaming Monthly wrote, I appreciate uh, some uh, some appreciate the puzzle-like missions with more amb- ambitious objectives than kill everyone. 
Gamer's Temple uh, Temple said, a strategy game isn't much of a strategy game when it relies more on trial and error than planning. Another thing, this is about planning. It's not strategy and complex execution of plans. It's like, if you just simply won't be able to overpower your opponents. That's the big difference from other technical games, and that's why I think this one actually shines because of that. But, I, like I said, I would argue I would argue that if it requires you, I mean, I play a lot of RPGs, and if it requires you to have specific classes to beat certain scenarios, it's more puzzly. When, when the developers are looking for you to bring certain certain builds or certain combination of party members to the bear in order to get it's past scenarios. It's not even that. I mean, if you get past the first couple of missions, that's not even quite true. It's simple. It's not about... You can build characters and let them grow and become stronger. It's not about taking this particular class, which is you need to have a well-balanced team. You need to be able to use that well-balanced team well. It's about simply being able to play the game well and do something more than simply stomp over every enemy with overpowered characters, like some other so-called tactical games. But yeah, I found games where basically you know games that ask people, the player to step up a bit more are always going to be a bit controversial. And this is that kind of game. It's the kind of game which you know demands the player actually think about things and plan ahead and not just you know expect that it's a single strategy to work against. But, but if I can if I can beat a scenario better with the same party if I know what and I had this problem with Valkyria Chronicles. Valkyria Chronicles did the same thing. Valkyria Chronicles had sp- a specific in the middle of the missions. It comes across as a strategy game, but in the middle of the missions, certain things were scripted to happen, and you needed to have certain people in certain classes in certain key positions in in order to be totally effective in those in those battles. You're right. You couldn't just overpower. You couldn't just grind up. But once you knew how a scenario was going to play out, once you knew what the game expected of you. Then all you need, then, then you just brought that character and you put him in the right place at the right time. It felt more puzzly, and that's the. Well, you know, that, that's something I like that about Valkyria Chronicles, and I think yeah, it's, Valkyria Chronicles is a decent comparison to this one for some of these aspects, and I think that's a good comparison. It's like it's a favorable one because they're both fun games, and I like them for this. Right, and that's where that's where I wouldn't call that strategy. I would call that puzzle. And if you like puzzle games, that's going to be right up your alley. If you like well, the game presenting you, know, you with actual- a. I, I'm calling that tactics. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Um, <clears throat> anyway. Um, yeah. So, and I think what I think that's the problem with the crossfire is I it felt more like it had to do a lot of trial and error rather than just let's say let's say in a game like Pathfinder I just have a well built party and I have to be able to use that party effectively but yeah you only get one chance at each battle and whereas with crossfire if you play the battle once your chances of beating it the second time were ten times higher because you knew it was gonna you know anyway um, graphics I think it was really cute. I like the graphics. They're 2D, yeah, nice. isometric, very well done, very pretty, very colorful, a lot of contrast. Um, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the pretty little graphics on it, and I like the way the different classes looked. Kind of had a Final Fantasy Tactics feel to it, I believe. Wasn't it the same thing as Final Fantasy Tactics, where the main characters always kind of look the same, but the the other yeah, characters? It's, it, overall, it's very much in the vein of Final Fantasy Tactics. You've got the central characters who always look the same but can change classes. We also have a bunch of generic characters whose appearance changes depending on class. You even though assigns the voice for the secondary characters, which is kind of a fun element of this one. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, so let's 
see here. That one, Wild Arms XF. Let's see. Is you... this on PSN too? It might be. It, it might be. It, it doesn't say on. Uh, I'm looking at a couple of different screens here. I can't imagine it being PSN. that expensive. I mean, I I bought this one myself for like five bucks. I think is I've seen it go for at my nearby Fry's Electronics. It's... <laughs> Of course, most PSP games there are like that price. Yeah, you might be better off looking there on uh, eBay Half dot com. You're looking at about fifteen to twenty bucks. So still a little, you know, it's it holds its resale value uh, pretty well. I think it's ten bucks on PSN. I oh, could be wrong. Then if you can get it there, that might be the way to go. Though I don't, I don't believe it's on the Vita store. I could be wrong. Hmm. Alrighty. Well, um, so we've kind of gone over the whole series, right? And uh, Nathan has probably played more than anybody else. So I'll start with him. Nathan, what was your what was your most favorite game in the series, and what was your least favorite? Um, I'm not sure if I really want to say favorite, least favorite. I kind of like them all in the same general. Like they're not the most memorable or greatest of games, but they're all fun. They're all decent games for a RPG fan to really get into. Uh, I will say that favorite battle system is hex battle system from four and five. Favorite characters the building system is from three. Like the character dynamics from three and four. If they just had a single wild arms game that you know had all of those, it'd be perfect. But we don't, so sadly it doesn't exist. How about you, Dave? Favorite and least favorite. Uh... As much as 3 is a better game, my favorite is still probably 2 for some reason. And I just can't bring myself to enjoy Alter Code F. And no, I don't, that doesn't have a good reason either. <laughs> and uh, how about you, Mr. Apps? Well, obviously, I've played 2 of the... Well, now I've played a little of 2. Favorite 1, least favorite 2. <laughs> Even over <laughs> Alter Code F. I'm sorry that first dungeon for the Umbrella Girl was terrible. <laughs> there you go. Ooh, boy. Um, you know, my favorite is uh, still Wild Arms 3. I'm a very visual person. I love I draw in my spare time, and I, I love the artistic uh, style in Wild Arms 3. I, you know, obviously there were some detracting factors there, but... Um, and... Uh, and the such. Um, XF is my least favorite. That's why I kind of argue against it because I did buy it. I did play it. I love tactical games like Front Mission 3 and Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, I play Pathfinder today uh, mainly because of its tactical components. And I just felt that XF was very much like Valkyrie Chronicles. And I'm one of the few people who didn't think Valkyrie Chronicles was the next thing since Sliced Bread, even though I love the art in that one too. Um, but uh, gosh, I love the. Oh, by the way, Valkyrie Chronicles. Valkyrie Chronicles is a strategy RPG. I will argue with you on that. Well, it is. A, it is technically classified as a strategy, strategy first-person shooter RPG type of thing. It's a nice hybrid. It's just the mechanics underneath of it. I study tactics when I'm. I study like the mechanics underneath games when I'm bored, and mm -hmm. um, and the uh, the boss a lot of the later boards in that one are very puzzly. And that's because yeah, the, the bosses the bosses come to the the bosses come with mechanics that the that that no other characters have specifically designed to be tougher and to force the player into certain 
to force the player in certain directions. And if you don't face that that tough boss with the, these unusual mechanics in that one direction, like there's one boss you have to attack from two sides at once, for example. If you don't do exactly what the developers had in mind, your chances for winning that scenario drop by like you know 60 percent. Yeah, well, it's just you know par for all video games. I mean, no, I mean, so but if you play, if you that. play, if you play like a, a game a, like an RPG like Pathfinder, the yeah, tech... well, this is where the thing. Right? You know me, I hate Pathfinder. For D and D is the best D and D, so on. Best not to drag that. Into Wait, it. what? What? What did you say? Did you say Forest? <laughs> You can play. I mean, D and D. It doesn't matter. I mean, you play any of those pen and paper. You know, a lot of those pen and paper RPGs. And the the thing is, each one of those battles are very, you know not each one, but a lot of the battles are very very tough. Um, but they are designed. To, you know, when you buy an adventure path and you play it with players, they're designed to where a variety of parties can handle it as long as those parties are built together well. And you while mean, oh, Pathfinder, you know, you have to bring a wizard, otherwise you're gonna suck. That kind of you thing. can you can actually play the game. Pathfinder's with... not the best thing to talk. Yeah, to about it actually is. You can bring you can absolutely bring four wizards or four paladins or four whatever, but you got it. Not equivalent in paladins. Listen, if you don't bring an illusionist with you, things are just not yeah. gonna be fun. That's all I'm yeah. gonna say. Yeah. Um. You can you, you can have, you need you need a character that's completely useless. Need a player that's completely useless. Shoot. Um, What's a paladin? Anywho, um, so uh, looking at game rankings, Wild Arms won the first one for the PlayStation had the highest ranking at eighty-two percent. Not surprising since it was one of the first uh, generation uh, RPGs that first came out. Uh, Wild Arms three uh, second place at seventy-seven percent. Uh, followed by Code F at 73%, uh, Wild Arms 5, 73%, Wild Arms 4, 73%. So essentially, Alter Code F 5 and 4, according to the critics, were roughly uh, similar quality. Uh, and at the bottom of the rungs, you got uh, Wild Arms XF at 69%, and Wild Arms 2 coming in at last place at 68%. Good old Wild Arms 2 and its weird humor and stuff. Liz and Ard forever completely insane. <laughs> We're going to take a brief break and we'll be back to wrap this up with the final lap. Welcome back to the final lap. We're going to start off reading some comments off the boards. I must have missed this thread. Uh, let's see here. So last episode was episode 77. Welcome to the machine. What were we talking about last episode, Mike? You that weren't even Dot there. Hack. Dot Hack, right. Oh, yeah, I remember that one now. Oh, I, I was drinking. <laughs> uh, so, Somebody uh, likes Dot Hack. Right, you. Yeah. Right, you mate, mate, mo, mo, ow. What is it with you guys in these weird names? Says, great episode, guys. Just like my Japanese animes. Strawberry Egg said, this is an excellent episode. Well, I've never played any of the Dot .hack games. I can't for life of me remember why. I never saw Dot .hack sign when it was on TV. I found it fascinating. That is such a huge multimedia project. Thanks for all the info on the various series. Uh, and then she put some stuff in, in the spoiler tag, so I won't read that 
because it's spoiler. Well, I mean, we read spoilers. What? But... Not read spoilers on the show. I don't since know. When? What is it? Uh, it's a it's a game that's less than a year old. That's why. Oh, okay. That's ah uh, uh, okay. Shellin one okay. writes, "Oh God, dot hack! I burned out on that one halfway through the third game of the original Force." See, now that was Shelly's one mistake. You don't want to really play those <laughs> original Force we discussed in that episode. You really want to play the GU series, which is only a trilogy. No, you want to get those original four games and keep them as their market value continues to yeah, rise. Well, this is true. <laughs> Even though they suck. Quarantine goes for that is. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, let's see, which is a shame. Not because, good for play purposes, though. Which is a shame because I really wanted to see where the plot was going. Well, uh, Go read a summary. Yeah, go read a summary, Shaley One, and then go play GU, which is a much... Well, if you've got all the way through halfway through the third, you might as well finish it up. It's no, it's really not process. worth it, because no. four is even grindier. <laughs> four is like, even grindier! Quarantine it's is like... Quarantine is like five hours of story and 15 hours of go-get-virus course. Well, <laughs> true, but my mic had Blake Silver those parts, so I tend to not, you don't to not worry about it once it's done. The only reason that I finished all of IMOQ was the fact that, like, I had absolutely nothing to do for like two solid weeks, no obligations, nothing that I could even do as an option. So it was just like, oh, I I will finish these because I want to see how it ends, and I don't have a computer right now. So I did, and I would not recommend anyone tread the same path. And that set of circumstances will never replicate, sounds like. Uh, that's true of most people, but yes. That's not that bad. Really. It's, not, it's just so repetitive that it's like, why would you do that instead of just watching the cutscenes? <laughs> <laughs> or just play GU. Yes, play GU. I forced Wheels to buy all three of those. Yes. <laughs> and much better than the original ones. But I still can't get him to play anything because he plays Dark Souls instead of anything else that is suggested to him. Unless he's playing, unless he's playing uh, Persona 4 Arena. I'm playing that right now, actually. <laughs> I would be shocked if he didn't spend half the podcast playing it. Uh, so, uh, let's see here. Um, he, she, it continues to say... Uh, thanks for cluing me in on Sword Art Online. I haven't enjoyed new anime that much in quite some time. On an unrelated, You're yeah, there you go. On an unrelated note, are there any plans to do a show on System Shock, Mike? Well, Phil, I looked at System Shock on GameFAQs and elsewhere. It seems to fall more under the first-person shooter guidelines, especially given that it's oh uh, four oh five vintage than RPG. Do, are you familiar with them, Phil? Can you say whether they we should cover them? Ah, <sighs> you know, this is this <laughs> this would lend itself to the much uh, much heated uh is it an RPG or not debate, but yeah, it is it is it is probably one of the earlier games that uh that was really starting to meld those uh the RPG mechanics heavily into a first person shooter whereas, you know, games like Fallout were doing it from the opposite direction, melding first-person shooter mechanics into an RPG. Um, so uh, I, if I would say kind of falls along the lines of if our site covers it, then we could probably do a show on it. Do we cover it? Not currently. No, nope, then, then, yeah. Then by virtue of that, then no, we probably wouldn't do a show on it. Sorry. Hello, uh, 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 <laughs> I'll ask people who know more about it than I do at the moment. Yeah. Well, wait, See if we can get consensus. Wait a minute, what, what was the sequel to that? Um, System Shock 
Bio, Bioshock? Bioshock? Oh, Bioshock, well, yeah. Well, that's a spiritual successor. That's a spiritual successor. That there, there is a System Shock 2. Oh, I know God. this. Yes, System Shock 2 is much more well-loved than the first one. Is it RPGE as well? Uh, I never actually played it. I'm just talking about reactions I've seen to it. It's Again, they're first-person shooter RPGs. It depends upon how closely you want to draw the, draw the dividing line. Yeah, Are they I mean... Or less RPG than Deus Ex. Yeah. yeah, Deus Ex is like very is more RPG than those, <laughs> or Alpha Protocol. That's borderline. That's, uh, Alpha Protocol is very Alpha RPG. Protocol is not at all like it's so you're everything so much- is so dependent upon your stats that it's like sure you can treat yeah. it like an action game, but you won't get very far. Yeah, but you're like looking at that. I think that's one of the irritating things. You're like looking through a scope, shooting something, and then suddenly it says you miss, and I guess if you're used to RPGs, you're okay with that, but it's like, but he's in yeah, my it's crosshairs. Just like, it's just like the original well, Mass Effect. This is how you play Alpha Protocol. You get you put all of your uh, points into stealth and punching things, and then sneak up behind <laughs> people and punch them for the entire game. There you go. Uh, that's how I played it the first time, and I had no idea why people had trouble with it. <laughs> he said uh he said uh he goes on to say um I think it deserves one it was one of the first if not first and certainly one of the best early examples of games to heavily integrate RPG elements into a shooter plus Shodan doesn't get nearly enough mention these days for the uninitiated Shodan's basically glados with a god complex and an army of mutants robots and cyborgs so I need to go back and play System Shock. I don't even know if I had that on Steam or something. Be sure to mod it so your weapons don't break as easily because they were accidentally set way too uh, breakable. Ooh. Wimblefish writes, I have just emerged from the digital digital miasma of the internet to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you times ten to the power of infinity for finally getting around to do a Wild Arms episode. Well, you can thank uh, Mr. Miki for that, Wimblefish. He does all the <laughs> scheduling. I know when I requested it months and months and months ago, not many of the staff had actually played any of the games, so I hope you all enjoyed your time with the series. Looking forward to hearing it. Well, you've just heard it. I shall now sink back into the gloom. No, don't go back into the gloom, not the gloom. No, come back into the light. <laughs> you got to be careful with that or else it'll be like Keanu Reeves and Johnny Mnemonic. Nobody wants that. I heard you go. All righty. Uh, so that's our comments for last show. Our next show, you can start writing in your questions now. It's going to be number 79, Dragon Wick. Uh, we're going to be talking about Dragon Quest 4 and 6 and 5 and yeah for once i'll be i'll be able to say a whole lot more about those three than i was this time yeah yeah cool and uh yeah so we'll be recording that on (laughs) september the 18th if uh if something really bad doesn't happen to me on the way to work Uh, i think you'll be there right nathan yeah i will be especially i haven't beaten five only a few weeks ago yeah. It'll be even fresher in your head than it is in mine. I beat it, I think, two months ago. It is time, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, for personal pimpage. That part of the show where we just chit-chat about what we're playing or what we're doing on RPG Backtrack or whatever just comes to our mind. We're going to start off with uh, this uh, guy, David McNugget. What, huh? <laughs> David McNugget? What the heck is with you people? <laughs> he likes to give weird nicknames. Just yeah, be glad your last name isn't Apps. <laughs> so, Dave, been playing any fun, new, uh, and exciting lately? You want to talk to our vast audience uh, of thousands of listeners about? 
like, I don't know. I don't work for this site anymore. Doesn't mean you don't play video games, man! Come on, you ain't played nothing fun lately? <laughs> All I've been playing is freaking Sleeping Dogs. No one in this audience cares about that. Of course they do. I they do. I talk about other non-RPG games all the time. Well, freaking A, I've been playing a lot of Sleeping Dogs, and it's really good if you enjoy GTA. <laughs> all right, Sleeping Dogs, go play it today. Is that already out? That's That's been out yeah. for about two, three weeks. Oh, damn, i got to pay more attention to release schedule. Originally, it was true crime. Don't let that scare you away. Oh, goodness gracious. All right, fine. How about you, Mr. Schlothen? What have you been doing lately? Uh, well, playing a few video games. Uh, finally came back to Xenoblade, which is good. That's a fun game. Ooh, I like Xenoblade. Also, I was just reading on the uh, Wild Arms Wiki, which is something which kind of amused me that kind of needs to be mentioned for, on the backtrack. Is that apparently that our own site of RP Gamer is responsible for a common misconception of how to spell Wild Arms, which amused what? me to no end. How could you misspell that? I think he's oh. talking about the capitalization. Yeah, the capitalization. Oh. The the whole wild, wild the normally arms in all caps. That's uh-huh. apparently not how it's properly spelled, but that's how our site does, and it's caught on, and it's a wild misconception that even got picked up by Exceed briefly, which is an amusing story. I was about to say, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember the box art to number three. I swear it was all in caps. Huh. Weird. All right, go RP Gamer Influence. Yes! Do anything uh, on the site lately, Nathan, that you want to pimp? Uh, not really much. Mm, but I, I know. Don't want to mention here. <laughs> I know somebody who has done something lately on the site, Mister <laughs> Apples. Yeah, I've done some Q and A recently. Mm, what you were? Uh, what are you being Q and A in about? Nintendo Power, which was recently announced that I know is going no. out. It's so sad. No. Bring, of my and, life is over. Bring it back, yes, apps. Yeah. Bring it back. And many old people wept for the loss of their childhood. Wait a minute, you call me old apps? Oh, hold on, let me, get, where, let me find the hang up. Sure I, am, I am, but I'm also calling myself old, so it evens out. So, I am the only one among this group that retains youth. Phil, <laughs> have you ever complained about the skateboarders on the sidewalk? Mm, no, but I don't really walk on the sidewalk. Have you, have you ever told kids to get off your lawn? Mm, no, I don't have a lawn. Have you ever complained that things were better in your your day? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, then you're then you qualify. Uh, yep. uh, and, and I qualify right there with you, Phil. So don't feel too bad. I'm old and over the hill. <laughs> as far as actual I games, old. <laughs> yes, I love the Who. We all I'm do. Old. Even though even though half of them are dead, that gets creepy. I saw them. To be fair, Keith Moon half. died when he was young. Yes, Keith Moon, were he any other anyone else, would probably have died 15 years before he actually did, given the sheer number of drugs that went into his system. <laughs> oh, he did die of choking on his own vomit, so I think he gets it worse. <laughs> Didn't John Bonham die of that, too? I don't remember. I don't think so. Now that we've turned it into the music podcast... Well... Well, let's talk about more classic rock after this. Mr. Apps was talking about, uh, what were you talking about again, Apps? How we forgot about Dre. What? Classic rock. Maybe. I know, I need to get off of that. I had just anachronistically moved to, like, early 2000s hip-hop. 
Maybe we should move on to Mr. Minky. Uh, you had a review fairly recently, didn't you, Mr. Epps? For uh, something that I'll remember eventually. I think he's, uh, he's trying to review Mugen Souls right now. I think actually he's been knocked off the call, so you might as well go ahead and keep oh. going, Mr. Minky. All right, I'll cover... Let's see, I recently reviewed Kodelka, which inspired middling reactions in me. Mostly, I was astonished at how much, like, current Americans, these 1898 Welsh people sounded. And I also did a review for Kingdom Hearts Dangling Dingleberry Dream Drop Distance. That game's awesome. I, I know what its proper title is. I like coming up with my own. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care that you don't care. Congratulations, we are in agreement. And I don't care that I don't care either. I did not like that game. I did. I did you like the other ones? I have never played any of them. I was lost. Oh, well, that might would explain it. I had. I will say that Leonard Nimoy doing a voice in this game was probably more dignified than what he did for that last Transformers piece of garbage, but that's yeah. all I can say. And yeah. I will... Don't I will not go into that anymore if you do not because I will not back down on the Transformers movies being absolute garbage. No, oh, oh, I don't like Transformers either. Okay. Um, like let's see. <clears throat> and I'll just go with a few movies. I watched Girl Happy, which is the famed moment when Elvis sings Fort Lauderdale Chamber of Commerce. That is the song's actual title, and he's trying to use it to get a girl to go see his band perform. Draw your own conclusions. Hmm. Well. <laughs> yes. Like. Elvis made a lot of movies. Some, A few of them were good. Some of them were like this, and he seems bored the whole way through. That's up next, Blue Hawaii. <laughs> uh, I'd rather not. I, I also skipped Change of Habit, where Mary Tyler Moore was a nun. That's probably for the best. And The Desert Fox is a good example of James Mason playing Erwin Rommel. I enjoyed it. It gets its history pretty much right, which is all the more impressive for a mostly war movie from the early 50s. Um, Turner Classic had a Toshiro Mifune Day last month, which was awesome. I had to watch all of that. got to watch the Samurai Trilogy, Samurai Rebellion, Redbeard, Yojimbo, Seven Samurai, and Drunken Angel, all of them good. And just last night, or the other night, was a strange series based on a book in which uh, hands are transplanted to a man, and the hands have a mind of their own. As, as we all know, once, once body parts are transplanted to people, they exert the will of their former owner, which in this case was a notorious murderer. So, of Go course, the, hand, <laughs> the hands must commit crimes on their own, well, dragging right. their new host body along. Well, like, yeah, everybody knows that. I know. Did, I bet you didn't know that hand transplants were happening back in 1924, though. Hmm. Apparently was... the technology hasn't improved much, because it looks about the same in a movie made 40 years later. That was a little bit earlier than I was expecting. And I'll, I'll spare you. I watched a good 30 or so other movies, but we don't need to go into all that. 30 or 40? But number yeah. one, I wow. watched... Do you really want me to go into some more? No, I really don't. I was just talking. <laughs> talking about intolerance, D.W. Griffith's 
three and a half hour epic. to apologize for Birth of a Nation. Yeah, it's very heavy handed. You don't crossfade from Jesus saying something to a guy in the present who you're trying to frame as Jesus oh, figure, Jesus. unless yeah. <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, three and a half hours. Not necessarily worthwhile. Phil, your turn. Well, let's see here. I saw a classic movie called something something Dark Knight, something something. Yeah, it was pretty cool. All right, thoughts. So, something something Homer go crazy. No. <laughs> no TV, dang it. Something about. This one guy taking over the entire island of New York. No, wait, I'm sorry, Gotham. And yeah, but somehow, yeah, it was pretty funny. You know, I'm going to tell everybody here, because I mean, that is under a couple of years, so I don't want to spoil it. But I will tell everybody, if you've seen that movie, you need to go on YouTube and do a search for how it should have ended, H-I-S, uh, however you spell the acronym for that, how it should have ended. Um, do a search for that in Dark Knight Rises or whatever have you, and watch how it should have ended because that was hilarious. That that actually, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's going right now and clicking and checking. <laughs> now no one's going to listen to the rest of what I have to say. Uh, let's see. I've been playing a crap load of Orcs Must Die 2. I am telling you that game is so much fun. My dad's addicted to it. We are slaying Orcs here. I'm up to like 35,000 dead Orcs. So, yeah, they have to die, and it is so cool watching them die. So basically you're saying that you're a crazy racist. Oh, my gosh, they must die. <laughs> oh, and it's so fun watching them die over and over, and the co-op in that is just absolutely great. Single player is great. Co-op is great. It's just a really, really fun game all around. Um, and Super Mario Land 2 on the 3DS, because I have nothing else to play. And, and as far as RPGs, I've actually, uh, speaking of retro RPGs and whatnot, I've been playing... Puzzle Quest 2, which I originally bought for the DS back about, I want to say about three and a half, four years ago, whenever it first came out. And um, I was disappointed with the DS version. I can't remember why, so much so that I remember trading it in while it was still worth something. But uh, it came out on the. I played that one. Yeah. Puzzle Quest 2 is vintage 2010. Okay, yeah, but it's still (laughs) RPG backtrack material. It's at least two years old. (laughs) Mr. Making. Yes. The thrilling quest of Puzzle Quest 2. Do not spoil how it ends. Let the audience find yeah. out on its own. I know, it's such a classic. But I will tell you, Mike, I will tell you, while well, I, I, I didn't like it on the I didn't like it on DS, there were some problems on the DS version. I believe, how in a world do you have a puzzle gym matching game with so much slowdown on the DS is beyond my comprehension. Um, and, all those numbers in the background, it's a freaking a calculator. Yeah, and it had bugs <laughs> in it and all kinds of crap. Um, well, on the, the iPad, it still has some slowdown, but it's not quite as bad as the DS version. I don't know why they can't get rid of slowdown and gym matching for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> but on the, on the 3DS where it's bigger, it's, it's prettier. And I mean, 3DS, I mean the, um, app iPad or whatever. Yeah, that was kind of fun to kill a few hours. So I killed a few hours on the plane trip over to California and back with that. That was I cute. probably still wouldn't like it if I had to play it for review. Well, that's the problem. Is is I, my, Mike and I talked about this. I mean, he had to play for review and uh, gave it not the best score in the world. And I, I, I agree that I wouldn't give it like a, I wouldn't give it like a four or anything like that. But I, I might have given it a little bit higher than Mike. And the reason why is 
when you play games for review like Mike had to, we generally at RP Gamer, we need to play as quickly as possible in order to get it up in a somewhat timely fashion. And Puzzle Quest is really one of those games that's best played. Uh, Puzzle Quest 2, I should say, in this case. is It doesn't matter. First one, second one. It's best played if you spread it out. It, it's not... I mean, these things take like 40 to 80 hours to beat. To have to do that all in one sitting where all you're doing is matching gems over and over and over again, it's, it's not the way the game was, you know, to get the best enjoyment out of the game. So... Uh, yeah, I feel for you, Mr. Minky. You go, boy. Anybody who thinks that a reviewer's job on RP Gamer is easy is just smoking the peace pipe. Because, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah some... Are they really smoking I... peace pipe? I think usually people like that tend to be very angry. Yeah, that too. <laughs> angry. Maybe uh, they're injecting the peace pipe instead of smoking it. Yeah. Peace Phil, pie. just be glad you're not reviewing what I'm reviewing pie. right now. What are you reviewing right now, Mr. Apps? Well, I am. What's that? Well, I am reviewing the PC version of Dark Souls, but that is in addition to Mugen Souls. Mugen who? Mugen Souls. Think of uh, think of Cross Edge uh-huh. and the natural progeny of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is from Compile. Slash How many eight. Simpsons voices mixed with your own right there, Phil? Oh my gosh. At least five. I reviewed Cross Edge, <laughs> man. I know the terror that is Cross Edge. I played a lot of Trinity Universe, which I'm pretty sure is just the 3D version of that. The story in this one is completely about 100 times as insane as either of those games. And, um, yeah. There's, um, there's, uh, you know, anime girls that look very young. Bathe together, and that's basically the entire game. Yes. Well, surprisingly, it's not, but only probably because those portions were cut out of the game for the release. It's actually just an anime DVD in America. <laughs> no, you know, there's a battle system, and it's kind of weird and fun, you know, and then... Be- you- from what you've told me, it is slightly better mechanically than, the, uh, than Cross Edge. Oh, it's it's much better mechanically in Cross Edge because it uh, actually skeevy as heck. Uh, not the battle system, thankfully. Well, oh, I meant the game. The yes. game is skeevy as heck. Yes, you will feel dirty playing this game, and not in a good way. <laughs> and how much of the game do you spend playing it, and how much do you spend watching the suggestively positioned underage girls do things? Thankfully, that's like. Um, just doing things, maybe twenty percent of the game. That's but, still like twenty percent more than it should be. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's not thirty percent. That's just kind of in ridiculous story that's trying to be like Disgaea and not doing a good job. At least it's not hyperdimension Neptunia. You know, I can't remember the state it was in, but Jerry Lee Lewis married his thirteen-year-old cousin, and that was not illegal. Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, most uh, most states don't bother making a law for things that they assume people won't do. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, he married her somewhere in the deep south. That may have had something to do with it too. Well, the main character in this game looks younger than thirteen years old. So <laughs> that take that how you will. <laughs> do that what you will. Goodness gracious! Great balls of fire. It it sure is a thing though, and I think it's actually getting a teen rating. <laughs> Good thing they Only a team. Gotten an M. I think so. That still keeps it out of the hands of people who might be about the same age as the characters in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, let's see here. Um, I had a little bit of time off. 
Uh, so, and I was uh, visiting my dad, and he has this this invention called cable TV. Uh, I don't have that. People who know me know that I just don't have a lot of free time, and what little free time I try to play video games, so I don't really bother paying for cable TV. And uh, he's apparently into this show that I later found out is one of the most popular shows in America, True Blood on HBO. Have you seen oh, this, Mike? I thought you were going to say Game of Thrones. So disappointed. Oh, my gosh. Somebody, no, I somebody has recommended that. it to me. Uh, the library's copy of the DVDs is currently checked out, though. Uh, I'm like, how do you guys watch this stuff? It's so, I don't know, weird? Uh, it's weird. The vampires that blow up like balloons full of, like water balloons full of blood. It's just so, yeah, it's hilarious. It's like, okay. What was really is great it, was... Is it as hilarious as Vampires in Twilight? Yeah, well, I would, I would actually. Vote. They do not sparkle. They do not sparkle, so that's a huge plus. Well, how are, how am I supposed to reconcile this in my crossover fan fiction, True Light? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you're supposed to melt, blend it all with some kind of Mormon philosophy. What was, oh boy, I'll be great at that. What was really great was you know how my how my uh, my parents there were just so enthusiastic about describing to me the last five seasons and 15 minutes of of this series. You know, they were just so excited about it. Oh, you ever seen... lots of blood and sex and death. Yeah, that's... They just went on and on and on. They were just so excited. Oh, Phil, you gotta understand and when this happens, it's this and this is what fairies can do and... Oh my gosh, they were so excited. Fairies? What? Yeah, there's fairies and werewolves and vampires all in a three-way... Sex. Yeah, sex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, in that, a three-way. And of course, they had to explain to me what happens when each race has different sex with the other races. You know, oh, when you come wonderful. buying a fairy and a vampire, you get this. You know, the type of thing. So. You get a fairy. Yeah, fairy. So let me tell you this: if you have to watch one HBO show, let it be Game of Thrones, please, for the love. Oh, God, let it be Game of Thrones. Uh, well, unfortunately, I don't have HBO. I, I did. I did try to look online to see because I have Netflix, and uh, Netflix doesn't have anything. From no, HBO. they don't have anything yeah. from HBO. But what I was trying to do was to see if HBO had like an online, you know, pass type of thing, like a Netflix. You can thing. only do it if you subscribe to their cable. Isn't that something else? <laughs> exactly. It's like, wait. I think you can buy Game of Thrones through iTunes if you want a specific uh, show, though. Yeah, I can buy. I can buy. I know with that vampire thingy, there was individual shows for like two or three bucks on Amazon, or you can buy the entire season for thirty-five bucks. But yeah, it's kind of incredible. Why can't? Why wouldn't HBO have like a Netflix-like option? Why do I have to? Why do I have to subscribe to Dish Network in order to then go and subscribe to HBO online? Because those guys are probably paying HBO money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> to keep them relevant in the age where people would much rather have content digitally delivered to them than wait for it to show up. Oh my goodness gracious. Evil. Too complicated for this consumer, so they will not be getting my ten bucks a month like Netflix does. <sighs> I love well, Netflix. Well, if Phil, some, if someday getting TV digitally becomes simpler, Game of Thrones. By then you'll probably be able to watch the whole series. I know. Then I'll probably just should have bought it on DVD anyways. I don't know. <laughs> or DVDs you could just read the books. Too. The books are better. There. Yeah. Wheels has strong opinions about ice, fire, and songs about them. Yes, I do. <laughs> too funny. About how they're awesome. Uh, alrighty. Well, uh, let's see here. I think everyone's had a 
a chance to say their piece and everything like that. So that means it's uh, wait, 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 wait. Did uh, I cut off in the middle of talking about Devil Survivor? Uh, that means it's time. Uh, you didn't for the even say anything about it. Yeah, that means That's it's time for the wrap up. Yeah, yeah. Can I can I just take a minute to say that since I was last on the show, I've played about ninety hours of Devil Survivor Overclocked and two. Wow. I beat two different endings in. Well, I mean, I took one save where the plot splits and finished two different endings that way, and uh, Overclocked, which took up about seventy hours, and I've played about twenty hours of two. And I am completely addicted. Like, I'm already planning to go back and do New Game Plus in Overclocked. So you're saying that you like the game? I do. He's actually been forced into some sort of demonic contract. <laughs> no, not the demonic contract of death. No. Well, it's not really death. It's just he has to finish Devil Survivor again and again and again. That must I'm mean you're a chaotic player, player right? Yes. He's I thought so. <laughs> no, Every actually, time I see you, I think chaos. Actually, I picked the law ending in... Uh, Devil Survivor is the only one where the law ending isn't treated as the worst ending. <laughs> which is surprising. But I, I also did the worst ending, which is really awful. <laughs> hey, let's just ignore the problem and hope it goes away ending. Yeah. Surprise! It doesn't. What isn't surprising is that RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us on twitter.com slash rpgamer. Become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show, RPG Cast, all at rpgamer.com. Hey, do us a favor, go on iTunes, leave us 18 out of 5 stars. That'd be awesome. Uh, on behalf of Mike, both of them, uh, this new guy, old guy, whatever that doesn't do anything, whatever his name is, uh, Nathan Schlothlin, and myself, we thank you for listening. And Phil, Phil, Phil. and <laughs> what? Phil, I'm I'm sorry to break up your role, but I forgot to tell you that Wild Arms XF is available from the Vita PSN store directly. There you go. Go grab it today. Hey, we kind of talked about Wild Arms. Yeah, somewhere in there. Mr. Mike, put us to bed. Well, partners, I hope you were listening to all that fun stuff people were saying earlier. Sounds to me like Wild Arms 3 might be the single most compelling one in the lot, but all of them, almost all of them at least, seem to have a little something that might make them worth recommending. At least trying sometime. See if you like them. And if you don't, well, then I guess this whole show wasn't for you. And if it wasn't, then I, I don't know exactly what to tell you except... Going on someone else, moving along. <clears throat> I think we're done here for the night. Yeah, buddy.
distant time and faraway place, the planet of New Texas floats deep in space. Sky of three suns, land of precious ore, the carrion rush brought outlaws by the score. Marshal Craig Starr! 